Oh God. You understand that? Yes, sir. Roll that one. Fuck you. Get ready. Thank you for listening to the ESBC Sports Betting Podcast, which uh, the purpose of the podcast is to make me money. And I say that because I'm not hypocritical like these players. Oh, I'm so happy to be here in the NFL. Blah, blah, blah. Blase, blase. Right. The reason you want to play in the NFL is because you want to make money, right? So so many people who are disingenuous and have hidden agendas, it's, it's always crazy, right? It's always crazy people who have hidden agendas, uh, who do not want to be honest with you and don't understand that salesmen think short-term and businessmen like Bill Belichick think long-term. So uh, I put in a VPN on my phone and what it did was it uh, delayed uh, what's going on. So we're going to catch you up on the draft. So we'll have every single pick for you. We'll have breakdowns for every pick. Uh, these rounds go fast. They're five minutes in between picks, right? So we'll get you on. So it's very interesting that uh, you look at philosophy, right? Uh, the New Orleans Saints pick I am book. And I am book is a smart guy. We went to Notre Dame. We talked about it yesterday on the podcast with Scott that you have to be smart to go to Notre Dame. So you have blue ship programs where you get a 1.9, 2.0 to be able to get in there. And then you have uh, developmental programs. Developmental programs, um, you have to have a 3.0 to get in or, or more. Uh, most of the time it is more. And these guys develop, but at the end of the day, they get great contracts. So. Uh, fourth round, number 33 pick is Ian Buck. So let's go down through all of them. Uh, let's see here. But the start of the fourth round. This is going to be four through seven. And then now we're going to have a guy who might be drafted as an undrafted free agent. Uh, Chad Nolan. Uh, see here, fourth round. So it started with Jay Tufale from USC, six foot three. 315 pounds. He's a monster, uh, great player at USC. USC is a blue bud, but you still have to have really good grace to get into USC. So he's a smart guy, another smart offensive lineman, big guard. We're talking about the, the big run on guards. New York Jets, 
pick, Michael Carter, from our friend that we talked a lot about before, Mac Brown, right? Mac Brown and the North Carolina Tar Heels. And we talked about him winning a national championship, what a great coach he is, and that he's going to leverage the fact that he's getting guys drafted into the NFL for himself. Then you're talking about Darian Hall. Darian Hall, cornerback, San Diego State, six foot, 190 pounds. Uh, you look at San Diego State, defensive, great defensive coach. Uh, that's now the defensive coordinator at uh, New Mexico because he had a run-in with people. Uh, we'll get his name. We'll catch up on all the names. Uh, the name of the Washington coach we were talking about. Washington has a great defensive program. And that coach uh, is Jimmy Lake. So Jimmy Lake is the guy we were talking about yesterday. And everything will be in the episode notes and we'll write up uh, the transcripts. But Jimmy Lake, University of Washington. Great defensive coach, played in the NFL. Uh, recruits guys with bodies for the NFL. And he's got several guys picked. Another guy, too, uh, the coach of Cal is another good one. Des Fitzpatrick, University of Louisville, six foot two, tall receivers, right? Tennessee likes those tall receivers, weighs 210 pounds. And the 109th pick went to Carolina. The Cleveland Clowns had James Hudson, offensive lineman from the University of Cincinnati. Luke Finkel, who won a national championship with our friend Urban Meyer. So it's very interesting. Uh, we talked about the six degrees of Bill Belichick and the six degrees of Nick Satan and Urban Meyer. So it's hard to get drafted, it seems like, especially this year, if you're not in, in throwing Andy Reid, the Andy Reid tree, if you're not in that ecosystem. And you got uh, Luke Finkel is great at developing players. You saw him go toe-to-toe -to -toe with our guy. Uh, six degrees of Nick Satan and Belichick, Kirby Smart in the Trigger Bowl. In that Trigger Bowl, you, he, he went against uh, Luke Finkel. Luke Finkel against Kirby Smart. Man, Luke Finkel, look him up his, uh, when he won the wrestling title at, uh, in Ohio as a high school guy. Luke Finkel, great at developing players, great at motivating players. Six foot five, 310 pounds, did really well against those blue blood, Georgia defensive line. Cincinnati Bengals got an edge rusher from Tulane. So the AAC has done a great job getting guys into the NFL. So we got Tulane. Tulane has a great coach. Six foot three, 280 pounds. Ready to go from the edge for your Cincinnati Bengals. Amat St. Brown goes to Detroit. So now Jared Goff has a weapon to run that air raid, air raid to air raid. So it seems like uh, maybe uh, Detroit is going to run a little bit of air raid with Amat St. Brown. His dad uh, is a professional as well. I think he's a professional bodybuilder. L.A. guy gets drafted in the fourth round. So he lost a lot of money. He could have came back 
uh, next year, an extra year, it would have been a first round draft pick. So he lost a lot of money, millions of dollars. Millions of dollars by not staying at USC, which people we saw uh, soap opera stars, right? Uh, the lady who did movies on Lifetime. And then uh, uh, whatever, that, that one show, Desperate Housewife, the lady on there paid 500 grand for her kid to go to USC. <clears throat> So you see all this money being thrown around. So she she spends five hundred grand to get her girl to USC, and Monson Brown wants to leave early. He wants to leave that place early. Being a superstar, he wants to leave being a superstar in LA, going to a school people die to get into. Now he's in Detroit <laughs> after losing a lot of money. Hey, life boils down to decisions sometimes. Monson Brown. Very interesting story. So that's the thing about the NFL draft, especially this day. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of different stories. There's a lot of background stories being thrown around uh, that makes life interesting because truth, as we have discussed, is much stranger and much more bizarre than fiction, right? As we explore these stories. Derek Barnes, linebacker, Purdue, so Purdue's got two guys in the NFL, first couple rounds. Uh, when I saw this guy play, I wasn't too impressed. Drew Dalman, offensive lineman, six foot three, 286 pounds from Stanford. Why is that significant? It's significant because Shaw, the Harbaugh family, again, it's hard to get in the NFL if you're not in the ecosystem of the Harbaugh brothers. Nick Satan, Bill Belichick, Andy Weed, and Urban Meyer. That's pretty much the whole draft right now, 80% of the draft. And this guy falls in this line. They're great at, again, Stanford is a developmental school. And Shaw, Harbaugh, all those guys are great at strength and conditioning and developing players and getting them to the NFL. Jabari Cox, linebacker, six foot four, 231 pounds from LSU, goes to Dallas to go play zone and make those windows really shorter for those guys playing zone. Uh, he's a speed guy, fast guy, uh, can really dominate on many, many levels and many different angles, right? From a speed position. And you can also tell he's around six four. 6'4". So what that means is those tight windows. So he's fast, probably has long arms, tight windows to get in between through, through this guy. Jabari Cox, 6'4", 231 pounds from LSU. Another edge rusher. And we saw how important edge rushers are in the NFL. Like Jim is saying, a very copycat league. So JPP made a lot of money. He went and dominated the Green Bay Packers on third down and beat them down. So a lot of teams are now getting edge rushers. So Elgin G. Smith, Northern Iowa. So that's the second Northern Iowa guy picked in the draft. So they had a heck of a team. 
Six foot seven, another tall guy, 245 pounds. So you go Jabari Cox, LSU, and then you go on the 116th pick in the first fourth round, Ellerson G. Smith, Northern Iowa. The local team, a guy that I'll be seeing in person, is Bobby Brown the third, six foot four, 235 pounds, run gap stopper from Texas A&M University. And remember, when you think about Texas A&M University, you're thinking about uh, Jimbo Fisher, who's in that ecosystem of our friends, Nick Satan, Bill Belichick, Kirby Smart, and in this case, uh, Jimbo Fisher. And, and remember, Jerry Pruitt was the uh, defensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher when he uh, won the title, won the NCAA championship, all right? So those are your LA Rams with a run stop, 335 pounds, Bobby Brown III, Texas A&M University. Then you go with Chris Rump, Duke, edge rusher again. A lot of edge rushers again trying to get that magic to happen with your Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl with JPP coming off that edge. And taking advantage of two left tackles who were hurt, right? The, the Green Bay left tackle was hurt. Tampa Bay dominated off that edge uh, as well. Uh, Kansas City had their left tackle hurt. So left tackle, very important position. And why is all this important? Because we make money on it. We pay for things with it with the Bitcoin cards. Then it was in the 119th pick, running back from Iowa State, uh, Mr. Campbell, Coach Campbell at Iowa State. He's a great developmental guy. Uh, we like him a lot. Uh, Kenway Nayawatu from Iowa State. All right. Coach Campbell, a great developmental coach. So when you're looking and, you, and you're analyzing college football games, you, you you differentiate between the blue bloods and the people who are uh, developmental coaches. Who are the best developmental coaches? So the developmental coaches cover the spread. So again, you always in a in a business meeting have to have the purpose. In the outcome, right? So the purpose is to make money, and the outcome is close to 70% college football. The, and then you have the Evil Empire, Bill Belichick himself, with Rondé Stevenson, running back Oklahoma, six foot, 246 pounds. So when you think of Bill Belichick, you immediately go to this guy does not fund, fumble. So Rhonda Mae Stevenson uh, will not fumble. And remember, the Patriots invested $175 million in upfront money to free agents. And now you're going to pay top dollar for the draft picks. Urban Meyer. Edge rusher again, six foot seven. A lot of tall guys being picked this year. Six foot seven, 255 pounds. Edge rusher from the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Over there, Conference USA. 
Conference USA. All right, so for Conference USA, you have Tyler Shelvin going to the Cincinnati Bengals. Defensive lineman, Coach O, LSU, six foot three, 346 pounds, run stopper, SEC run stopper. And remember, Coach O made his money uh, being a defensive line coach. So he's a great defensive line coach. And he's gotten many, many guys in the NFL through uh, his prowess as one of the greatest defensive line coaches of all time. Then you have Harry Roseman and your Philadelphia Eagles taking a quarterback from Texas Tech. Zach Peterson, 5'11", 195 pounds, Texas Tech, near and dear to our hearts because on our Faith Family Football Podcast, uh, Ben Rathlaff toasted this guy. So we have a guy who toasted uh, uh, Zach Peterson from Texas Tech, 5'11", 195 pounds. Then you have uh, John Bates, tight end from Boise State, 6'6", 256 pounds. Uh, Boise State always has a great offense. They always go to the tight end a lot. So this is a versatile guy because at at, at Boise State, uh, it doesn't matter. If you're starting, you're either going to be a run, um, running game tight end, or you are going to be a pass catching tight end. So this guy can do both, right? Then you have Cameron Bynum, cornerback from California, six foot, 200 pounds. And let me look up the head coach of Cal because the head coach of Cal has, has really done a phenomenal job. Justin Wilcox, don't have to look it up. It's Justin Wilcox. Justin Wilcox, I like a lot because he's very resilient. He got fired by uh, Clay Helton, who's one of those guys, again, that we talk about that he's better at marketing than he is in coaching. That's why he's making so much money as a head coach at USC, right? Uh, Justin Wilcox got fired by this idiot who also screwed a a guy we had on the podcast, Max Brown. Follow Max Brown, former five-star starting quarterback at USC. Got screwed over by Clay Helton. And they're both being resilient after being screwed over by this guy. And Justin Wilcox has done a great job. He first was a defensive coordinator at Boise State. Then he goes to Tennessee, uh, Washington, I believe, and then followed Sark to USC and then Helton fires him. And then he rehabilitated himself as the defensive coordinator for your Wisconsin Badgers. And he got taught defense with one of the gurus of defense, Alvarez over there at Notre Dame. Uh, he coached Tommy Carter, who I went to high school with at Notre Dame. And then he's the athletic director at Wisconsin. Athletic director at Wisconsin. Hires Justin Wilcox as a defensive coordinator, teaches him defense like he does everybody. Now, Justin Wilcox is a Cal. And there, there you go, that Cal secondary is always very, very, very good. Because of Justin, 
Justin Wilcox. And let me see, I'm getting a message from um, uh, Jim Coventry. So he'll be on in, in 45 minutes. So we're gonna thank you very much. So in 45 minutes, we're gonna give you a lot of information. So he'll be on in 45 minutes and we'll also have uh, our good friend, Chad Nolan. Hopefully he'll get picked while he's on with us. Uh, very interesting. So, Justin Wilcox is a great defensive uh, cornerback coach. Right? So, uh, very, very exciting uh, that he gets all these guys in the um, gets all these guys into the NFL right and uh, we're getting Scott on here now and very exciting uh, so Justin Wilcox very proud of him great coach of defensive backs. So when you get a, a, a defensive back, a cornerback, like, uh, you know, anybody from Cal, they're going to be very fundamentally sound. And uh, Jim just told me it's been a very, very crazy day. So it's good to get those different perspectives, right? Because with me, it, in a way, it's kind of standard, but I could see where it's also crazy, right? But maybe my life is so crazy that crazy is normal for me. <laughs> you, you never know. And it's been crazy because I had my, my clock was off. I put a virtual private network because the problem with being successful, and, I, and I'll never forget the story. This guy comes into my restaurant with a big Confederate flag belt buckle. And it's a Cuban restaurant in Pinellas Park, Florida. And he ends up being a independently wealthy car dealer. And he gave me the famous phrase that I always use, assholes buy cars too. <laughs> so he was an independent car dealer. He's like, Josh, you think you're successful. You got all these people coming in the restaurant. You're not successful until somebody sues you. <laughs> so I know I'm being successful when people are trying to hack into my phone. So people were trying to hack into my phone. So I put a virtual private network, but it messed up the times. So I had East Coast time. So I thought the draft started at 12. The draft started at 9 a.m. So we're catching up. So we're at 125, first round, Cameron Bynum, Cal University. And I just went through the whole story of Justin Wilcox, who's near and dear to my heart, the head coach of Cal, because he covers for me all the time. He's a great defensive coach. Uh, and we got Scott on. So how are you feeling, Scott? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? Hey, man. Every day is a great day. Uh, I thought it was good. I had more time, and I was reading one of my favorite newspapers, the Boston Globe. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> and they were saying Bella Cheat spent $175 million upfront money. Yeah. On a, he... Uh... He went wild on all his free agent signings this year, which is a departure because of how he's drafted. He didn't have all those contracts that, that were coming up in terms right. of uh, fourth years and fifth year options. So he just went 
he went insane on the first day. He signed the two tight ends. He signed Judon for the defense. He signed a guy from Philly, the cornerback. So he just was aggressive. So that's what everybody thought was going to happen in the draft. He was just going to become aggressive and he was going to move from 15 to like six or seven and he didn't do it, which he got, he got what he wanted, but um, so he's been aggressive. So he's been aggressive and and the upfront money is interesting because the the Patriots have uh, really good finance people. Well, the best finance people are in the Northeast anyways. That's where finance started in this country was in the Northeast. Right. Right. Really, really, really good finance people. So 175 million upfront, it's really, really good because inflation's going up. It's going to be right, and and the thing you got to think about next year is the cap is going to go back up over two hundred and twenty million dollars, probably, right? Because right. fans are coming back now and they're selling the merchandise and all oh, that wow. other stuff. So he's going to have a lot more money to play with next year as well as this year. So he could right. really become if he wants to be aggressive next year. He can, he could really, you know maybe be in the Super Bowl next year in oh, terms yeah. of what he what he gets. This year will be tough because you still got Kansas City, you still got Buffalo, you still got those obstacles in your way, but um, you know, money talks with these free agents and if you're going to show money them the money, if you're going to show them the money, they're going to sign with you. So, so I got to put my uh, for this pick, let me look, at, I got to put on my Oklahoma State hat on. So got, I'm gonna put my Oklahoma State hat on because we got my OEN shirt. If the wife is watching the the, the Oklahoma State hat, we got Shovel Hobbard at 126 Carolina. He's in the South, so he's safe. Yep. Uh, Shovel Hobbard, uh, Black Lives Matter went crazy. Great running back, uh, cursed out. Uh, his coach mullet man for being a racist wearing the he had the Oklahoma state hat in the OEN so people see me wearing it's not a political statement I'm just having fun trying to be right, fun right. Shovel right. Hubbard Oklahoma State six foot 280 pounds he could play man he's going to Carolina to run the football with our guy Matt Rule and uh, Sam Darnold's going to be the starting quarterback there what do you think Scott um, good pick because they needed a running back. Obviously, they lost uh, Mike Davis. He went to Atlanta. Um, so they needed to fill that backup running back spot for McCaffrey. Um, low center of gravity, good center of gravity, hard to bring down, uh, good ball carrier. So um, Carolina's done well. Carolina's really done well in this draft. Yeah, so, Matt Rule's yeah. a really smart guy. And I think it's an art yeah. and science. He's blending in the analytics with common sense exactly <laughs> and you make the decision mark matt patricia not just the numbers and even you know temper did just the numbers and he did fine but we don't have the advantages of running a hedge fund like he did yeah and the, and the other thing with him is, is he's he looked around his team you know they traded bridgewater away he loves donald i guess from what i hear right um picked up his fifth year option um, and is now starting to to add depth pieces to his team. So he's being he's become a very smart coach in terms of what he what he needs for his team. Right, and then also um, with Sam Darnold, if a quarterback can get a first down, three first downs with his legs, you win seventy five percent of the time. 
that's what Sam Darnold brings to the table. And then yep. the Jets make the classic mistake. Now that he understands defenses and now that he's good to get rid of them, right? So, well, it's Adam Gase, it's the Adam Gase theory, too. Right. right. And Adam Gase is, a, is an awful coach. So, well, with Adam Gase, what happened with Adam Gase is that Adam Gase is a racist. So, they made him get on purpose a black offensive coordinator. And Adam Gase, not being the, the smartest, he really does have mental health issues that he's, you know, untreated for. And the reason I'm qualified to say that's because my wife is a psychotherapist. So yep. I don't know anything about psychotherapy, really, but I do know when somebody needs to get help. And I'm, and I'm you know, because we have a mental health first aid kit, because you try to help somebody. Somebody wants to kill themselves. You, you try to talk them out of it and then get them help or whatever. And that's where Adam Gase yep. is at. And Adam Gase, they forced him to get a black offensive coordinator, and he did not know how to delegate. So he, he threw the guy to the wolves, threw himself to the wolves. I think he didn't think he was going to get fired that because of his buyout was so big. Yeah, I, that's the case. I, be, I believe that's the case. Um, I don't know why the Jets went after him in the first place because he, he didn't do anything good down in Miami. So I don't, yeah. I don't know why they Van, went after him. Vance the first Joseph. Place, but. Vance Joseph bailed him out with it. Just one of the greatest uh, defensive coordinating jobs of all time in the Dolphins game yeah. in the playoffs. And he gets hired the, as a head coach at Arizona. But yeah. at the end of the year, the Jets did really well in this because Adam Gase took over the play calling, right? He's a bad manager. He didn't teach the black guy how to be an offensive coordinator, how to call plays. Yeah. He didn't communicate with the guy. And it could be that Adam Gase isn't as bad uh, or isn't as racist as people think he is. He could just be really bad at communicating with people. Yeah. Yeah. That That's – I lean toward a little mixture of both, really. Yeah. Um, and, and we analyze these guys because in fundamental analysis, when you pick a stock, you look at the corporate governance, right, to analyze <laughs> the value of your investment. So – our guys, the Colts, get a tight end, six foot three at the 127th pick in the fourth round, six foot three, 235 pounds from Air Raid again, Air Raid University, uh, SMU, and Coach Spike Dykes. What are your thoughts on that pick, Scott? Screams, screams blocking, blocking tight end to me. Yeah. Uh, they have a couple other tight ends, Doyle, Burton. So that, that one definitely screams a lot of uh, let's keep him in the block. 235 pounds right on the end of the offensive line. Um, maybe maybe give him a couple catches here and there. Um, but that's what it, that it's is. It's very interesting. Um, him being a uh, blocking tight end for SMU that runs the, the air rate. So what does that mean? That means that he's a walk-on because they're not recruiting uh, guys like him. So he's a hard a guy, you know, a guy that writes like, a guy that worked himself into a draft pick in the NFL. He, he developed his body, yep. right? So that means that you can you develop around, let's say, 10 pounds a year. So he got to SMU at 180 pounds, six foot three, 180 pounds. Now he's 235. And he comes in in the red zone to get him in there. So he knows how, like you're saying, he knows how to run block, get those yep. last 20 yards, get it, get it to me in the end zone. And they scored a lot. 
and no. and again and again you look at um what they've drafted you look at the coach you look at the personnel on the field they didn't really in free agency go after any pass catcher no so they want to again run the ball and this guy if he if he becomes a really good blocking tight end that opens up holes on the offensive line for for taylor and, and whoever else to go through so 100%, 100%. Fourth round, 128th pick, Dan Moore Jr., offensive line, Texas A&M. From our six degrees of Bill Belichick, Nick Satan, uh, Jimbo Fisher. Why do we say that? Because this guy trains the same way. Uh, they all clone each other, and you can't argue with him because why? Jimbo Fisher makes $8 million a year in Texas A&M. And we're going to look at their endowment. Thanks, Scott, for being on, because now I can do a little research on these. Let's look at the endowment at Texas A&M University. Now, Texas A&M started the, the bidding war in Texas when an uh, oil man uh, who had a couple billion dollars laying around said, heck, I'm going to go and I'm going to give $500 million to Texas A&M. Then uh, oil man from Texas says, what? He gave $1 billion to Texas A&M. And then we all know about Oklahoma State, Boone Pickens University. You say, oh, who's Boone Pickens? Well, Boone Pickens is worth about $100 billion with a B when he died. And he donated 98% uh, of it to, to Oklahoma State. So <laughs> that's what we call Oklahoma State, Boone Pickens University. Uh, and Texas A&M, we're going to look at their endowment, but they have their, their, them and Michigan go back with the uh, university with net worth of alumni. So University of Michigan and Texas A&M are tied as far as net worth alumni, and they have an alumni network. So Daniel Moore Jr., when he's done with his playing career, will have a job for the rest of his life with that Texas A&M. Uh, network in the net. Remember, this is the richest country in the history of mankind. Yep. So the fact that that alumni group is at the top with Michigan means billions. We're talking probably about a trillion dollars now. So that's why I was telling you people, everybody out there, anybody listening, you Scott, <laughs> you got to charge them triple what you're charging them now. They got the money. Uh, $13.5 billion endowment for Texas a and is going there with the Rooney family. At Pittsburgh. What do you think about that? Monster, man. The, no, you guys were talking about that Pittsburgh needs help on that offensive line, man. They got a monster yep. now. Six foot five, yep. 315 pounds. Was that um they need a little bit more help, but that's that's a good start for them. Um, you know, getting getting guys from the big, big universities, plenty of game tape on them, saw them, uh, what he could do, um, drafted the running back in the first round. Um, so they're addressing their weaknesses right now. In the, in the fourth to seventh rounds, which is, which is sometimes where you can get some diamonds in the rough. And if he can, if this guy can play and this guy can pan out and can be there for years and years to come, um, it, it's a great pick for the Steelers. So. And, and, and uh, Tomlin is an expert in offensive line play and developing <laughs> offensive line. He really gets in there with them. So this guy really lucked out and he's very fortunate that he's Absolutely. over there with Mike Tomlin and Mike Tomlin's going to make sure 
he is successful. That's why uh, Pittsburgh can get away, right, with not having, let's call him sub, suboptimal offensive lineman because Tomlin is so good at coaching him up. Yeah. Remember, we've had two offensive line coaches, too. Three of them become head coaches through the Mike Tomlin tree. Mike Malarkey, that we saw <laughs> coach uh, with Nick Satan at uh, Miami, Winston Hunt, and Bruce Arians. Yeah. Yep. Jalen Darton, North Texas, right? Near and dear to our heart because uh, Ben Ratzlaff, uh, you're all American, all. Conference USA player at Western Kentucky last year at Houston Baptist. Uh, man, they he torched that North Texas secondary. And we had one of the guys he torched get picked earlier from uh, Texas Tech. Yep. Jalen Darden, uh, not overly impressed with him when I saw him play against Houston Baptist. The Houston Baptist defensive backs stayed with him. And then we always talk about marginal utility, right? The whole Dojkovic story, he was in, he was not even in the top thousand and he improved his stroke percentage 0.5 and he wins all these grand slams. So there's not that much of a difference between a player 21 and player a thousand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an extra rep practice. It's tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of difference. So not to impress five, nine, 174 pounds. I don't know how he's going to beat out my guy, Scotty Miller. Wide receiver, North Texas. Your thoughts, Scott? I don't think he will. I think he's a uh, future pick. I think right. he could be re- be a returner. He could be a punt returner or a kick returner. One of those specialists for the first year or two of his career. Um, and then, you know, preseason games, see how he pans out as a receiver. Um, that's one of those where they pick Trask in the end of the second round. That may be one of the guys that comes along with him. As, right, as his right. career goes on. So right. that that's what I'd be looking at is he could be used as a returner if he's quick. He could be right. used in, you know, Tampa Bay injuries at wide receiver. They had a, a few of them last year. Um, I don't see him beating out Scotty Miller because I think Brady, for his age, I think if Brady says he's comfortable with Scotty Miller, he's, the coaching staff's going to go with him. So. Oh, 100%. Um, and yeah, I think and you're Brady, right, right? Brady's not a trusting in rookies anyway, first of all. You know, the other thing. <laughs> yeah, you know him. <laughs> I, I know him very well. <laughs> so if this guy, if this guy didn't get on, doesn't get on the same page with Brady, Brady's not gonna throw him the ball. So right. yeah. Now and like we were talking about last night, uh the numbers they put on uh special teams guys. So the might be a huge drop off with the next special team guys versus you know versus this guy with yep and, exactly and Jason Light who's in that in that six degrees of separation right with Bill Belichick yeah <laughs> Rams a guy that I'll see in training camp in Irvine now Irvine I, I love Irvine because I probably should go jogging to the Rams training camp from here and jog back home it's from like my wife my wife's from Florida. Wife's a white girl from Florida, and she okay. was a cornerback from Central Arkansas, <laughs> making fun of the Southern State. Uh, Robert Rochelle, six foot two, hundred ninety five pounds. But it, there you go. That's a drop off in special teams, guys, right? Yeah, and that's a that's a depth move too. 
I mean, that, yeah. that's certainly what that is. I mean, the Rams don't have a ton of picks, I don't believe. No. If I had heard right. So they're just looking to fill depth. I think they think they're all set on their offensive um, offensive side of the ball. So they're just looking for defense right now. And, and I'll tell you get, what, that Arkansas, the high school football in Arkansas must be really good, right? Yeah, Gospel yeah. comes from Springdale. And Central Arkansas is always a solid uh, FCS program. And Arkansas mm-hmm. State, Coach Blake Anderson, thank you, Coach. You got to send you a thank you note because he always makes me a lot of money, man, during college football season. Blake Anderson <laughs> getting a big spread against uh, one of these really good teams early in the year. He will cover, man. Uh, mark it down. Thank you, Coach. And thank you, high school football in Arkansas. Those guys that want to stay home can go to Central or Arkansas State. They do really well. And, yep. you know, those hogs always are well, doing well. So our friend, the Harbaugh family, here we go. We're getting a run on Oklahoma State guys here in the fourth round. And I love the first fourth round. And after Scott, after I asked Scott this question, I'll tell you why I love the fourth round so much. It provides me a lot of laughter. Uh, Baltimore Ravens, wide receiver, six foot, 195, burner. Seems like another special team guys. We're running on special team guys, fast guys here. Tylen Wallace. What are your thoughts, Scott? So my my belief is the Ravens need wide receivers. So they're gonna draft, bring in a bunch of wide receivers and see what pans out. Got it. Um again, another another thing, another maybe future guy. Um, but after Marquise Brown on their their offense, they signed Sammy Watkins. He's injured more than he's healthy. Right. Um, that's what his career has been. So I think what they're doing now is they're just throwing darts at wide receivers and hopefully one or two of them stick. Right. So that right. they can put them with Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews as tight end. So right. um, Watkins was a, was a $5 million signing for them. So it's not a huge signing. I believe he was in that area. I so, always thought Sammy Watkins. So, you know, my, my whole life seems like I finally Sammy Watkins. When he was at Clemson and then when uh, he went to Buffalo. Buffalo, and then, yep. And the Rams, and now he's with the uh, the uh, Ravens, right? Yeah, and he was he – was, Watkins is a big playoff performer. With Kansas City, he was huge. Right. Kansas so I think that might be what they're looking at more so with Watkins is – in the big game, he'll come, he'll perform. Right. But I, like I said, they, they need, if Watkins is going to get hurt again, they need to throw some darts at these wide receivers and, and hope that one of them pans out for them. So. Right. And then you have um, one of, one of the reasons I love the fourth round and it always brings me a lot of laughter was Jeff Fisher. When Jeff Fisher was the coach, he took that team, I believe to the Super Bowl, almost won that Super Bowl with McNair and it was one yeah. of those situations, uh, they, they sold the team eventually, but he was everything, right? He was, what we talked about, it was a cheap team, and he was the head of the scouting department, and he was the head coach, he was a general manager, and he eventually became the executive vice president during the sale of the team, of the team. <laughs> and he has, until this day, he probably does, because he's still trying to get a job in the NFL, and I'm sure his hands are all over the place. He felt so confident and his ability to scout players that 
he would trade. He's like, I'll trade my first, second, and third round pick for your fourth round pick. <laughs> and all he did was get fourth round picks. Yeah, like he would have like 10 fourth round picks. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's the same thing. Yeah, that's the same thing that Belichick does. Right. I get a first round pick. Oh, let me move down and get a second, two seconds and a, and a right. number two next year. Right. It's, that's some coaches just don't either A, want to pay a first rounder or B, think that they're overrated and don't want to draft any any first round right so that's probably a jeff fisher thing is he he decided i'm just going to trade out i don't want to pay i don't think there's value with them exactly uh used to make me laugh he's like no i want a fourth round hey we're going to give you a number one pig no 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 i'll take i don't want that (laughs) i don't want that and even trade jeff no I want a fourth round pick. Uh, hilarious. So I'm then just going to go... cut the first rounder anyway, so don't even give a <laughs> right, right, right. And but I, I, it, as we saw, and everybody made fun of him because pretty much all of his career he went um, nine and seven or eight and eight the whole time. Yeah. So as they say on a serious radio show, Jeff Fish is Mister Eight and Eight. That's what he is. <laughs> Eight and eight with all those fourth round picks. Yep. Yep. And as we know, uh, God bless his soul. He made a mistake a lot of, you know, what the woman got him. Yeah. Um, he he really saved that guy's career, man. That really he sure did. Sure so did. when I first got on, uh, New Orleans Saints, we talked about them, the quarterback situation, and coach um, Sean Payton. Ian Buck. So what do you think on Ian Buck? Good pick. You know, fourth rounder. So yeah. he he waited, waited for his quarterback. Um Peyton, Peyton had one quarter has had one quarterback since he was head coach, and that was Breeze's pocket passer. Right. Um, he's got Taysom Hill to run. Um, so again, future pick. I think Jameis will be the starter throughout the whole year next year. Right. I think he's looking at him too. That's immense, Jameis, as a starter, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think he's looking at two two years down the road with, with this guy. I think he can develop him. I think um, he's a very smart uh, mind when it comes to quarterbacks and an offense. Right. So uh, I, I think you're looking at 2023, uh, two or 23 with, the, with this pick. Right. Which this, this guy probably is fine with, you know, being number two. You know, he'll use Jameis and Taysom Hill this year coming up. Might use them next year, both of them. But I, I think by the middle of 2022, if this guy pans out, I think he could start for New Orleans for years to come. So, Yeah, no, I think he's a, he's a character guy. He's going to be good for the city of New Orleans. Smart guy. Uh, like you said, he's going to pick up the offense. So he's going to uh, Sean Payton University. And remember, the offensive coordinator for Carolina Brady, who is going to end up Brady, being yeah. A, yeah, a head coach in the NFL. He understood and went to Champaign university and is now making uh, millions of dollars as an offensive coordinator. He's going to end up making $5 million a year, at least as a head coach somewhere. Mm-hmm. And coach O, coach O has been around football his whole life. Coach O, What's divorced? And if you want to read this, read Coach O's divorce papers filed in Louisiana, which is Sunshine State. And it's the theme, right? Uh, 
Coach Orgeron that we'll have in the beginning of the podcast. Actually, I'll play it in a little bit so we can get a little bit motivated between picks because we caught out and it started maybe like an hour ago. Uh, Coach O's wife divorced him and the grounds for divorce were neglect. All yeah. Coach O was doing was watching football. <laughs> so Coach O has won national championships in Miami, another Amazing staff in Miami with Bush Davis. Jimmy Johnson was the head coach. Bush Davis. Bush Davis. Uh, yeah. No, Bush Davis was the linebackers coach. Defensive coordinator Dude. was our guy we mentioned last year. Uh, Tover Bill ended up getting other head coaching jobs and now the senator of Alabama. <laughs> uh, you have Bush Davis. You had uh, was it, Chiano. Was Wanstad on that, that team too? Wanstad. Wanstad. He was a Think about this. Wanstead was a defensive coordinator before he left. I think it was like 88 and Wanstead left. Toverville took his job. So Toverville was like the secondaries coach. Uh, Wanstead was the defensive coordinator. Uh, the the GAs on his team, Chiano, Greg Chiano. Was, yep. So Coach O was the uh, defensive line coach, defensive line guru. And he's been coaching for 40 years, and he was on Sean Payton's staff in New Orleans, and Brady was there with him. So he says, Sean Payton knows offense. I'm going to bring Brady to be my uh, offensive coordinator. And what happens? They pick up Joe Burrow, who Joe Burrow was bamboozled by Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, he, his Burrow family shouldn't have known this. Urban Meyer once running quarterbacks, man, like uh, Trevor Lawrence. So Urban Meyer... Uh, only recruited Joe Burrow so he wouldn't go to Michigan. Right, right. And that's the only reason he had him. He lied to the guy. That's why sometimes I call him Satan or whatever, because they lie to people for their own purposes. Exactly, exactly. But they don't have to, man. You don't no, have I know to. that. I if he goes that. to Michigan, he would have beat Michigan anyway. He didn't have to do that to Joe Burrow. Right. 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 So Joe Burrow, borderline depression, about to start selling life insurance. Goes through with Brady and uh, Coach O, and what happens? He wins the Heisman Trophy, the greatest offense. Yeah. I think that's one of the greatest teams of all time because you have the third string for being drafted in the third round off that team and coming to the NFL and becoming a Pro Bowl. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's been a lot of good Miami teams in like the '80s, you know, mid early to mid '80s, but Burrow recruited by Coco. Yeah, and Burrow just took it to another level last year, uh, two years ago. Not right, like two right. Years ago. Right, so, so, yeah. LSU has had some... Black Inbook's future. Yep. LSU and Alabama have had some powerful teams, too, so... Oh, yeah. No, Alabama, yeah. Absolutely. That team was ridiculous. I mean, that whole team is in the NFL and backups and stuff. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, Coach Zimmer. We say Coach Zimmer because, again... Uh, it is a very low budget franchise for NFL standards and Zimmer has total control. He has total control over scouting. Again, he's a former Marine type. Uh, he's been divorced like three times, Parcells guys. So he controls the whole organization. He's, uh, he's the Belichick of Minnesota, Florida step off the edge. 
a lot of edge, like we're saying, because of JPP's domination yep. in the Super Bowl. Uh, Florida State, six foot five, two hundred sixty pounds, and I think of Marlon Mack because he was recruited by. I graduated from the University of South Florida, and our coach Willie Tagger. It's a phenomenal, as bad as he is in X's and O's, he's really good at judging talent. And here he goes, gets another guy into the NFL. Uh, he's a great seller, too. He can get guys that are you know, going to go to Notre Dame or going to go to USC, blue blood place, and he gets them wherever he's at. So watch out for those Florida Atlantic Owls as he replaced uh, Lame Kiffin as Kiffin. a coach. Yep of uh, Florida Atlantic Al. And if you have time, go to that campus right on the water in Boca Raton. Beautiful place. That's where uh, Coach Taggart is now. And he recruited and trained Janarius Robinson, six foot five, 260 pounds off the edge. And Willie Taggart was recruited to Western Kentucky by Jim Harbaugh. As Jim Harbaugh was for free volunteer recruiting coach for his dad late late in those years and got Willie Taggart there. Willie Taggart ends up winning two uh, FBS national championships for him. He gets him at running back coach at Stanford when Harbaugh was there. And he almost got Gephardt. He recruited Gephardt. He trained Gephardt. And he almost got Gephardt to win the Heisman Trophy. Goes to Western Kentucky, built that program out of nowhere talking guys that should have been going to Florida State and Miami and Alabama, getting them to Western Kentucky. And then he goes to USF, and uh, he recruits Marlon Mack. And we win 10 games, and he recruited Janarius Robinson, uh, who got picked, 134th pick in the fourth round by the Minnesota Vikings. What are your thoughts, Scott? System fit. I mean, this is what Zim is trying to do. Shore up the defense, run Dalvin Cook, and uh, win game 17-14. That's what Zimba would love to do. So, um, again, as you said, the JPP clone, trying to find him, you know, right. rush off right. the edge, quick guy, quick first step. Um, so, I think this was a system pick with uh, with Robinson plus big school, Florida State. Right. Um so I, I think that's what, as you, we've said for the for two days, that you basically know what these coaches are thinking going into the season is I want to stack up my depth on defense. I want to get a good edge rusher. I want to bring them off, you know, as quick as possible, rush the quarterback, force them into turnovers. And that's what, that's what Mike Zimmer is, total, totally defense. Um, that's his background in football. NFL is, is defensive uh, coordinator. Um, with Minnesota before last year where they weren't so good, play tough defense, run the ball. So mm -hmm. he's not going to put the game in Cousins' hands, obviously, but try not to. <laughs> so, you know, and he drafted a quarterback earlier in the, in the draft. So so that's another thing. How much confidence does he have in Cousins to right. carry the team to wins? He wants to put it on the shoulders of Dalvin Cook in his defense. So, 100%. Then you go to the Tennessee Titans, Edge Rutcher, from Pat Narduzzi, who coached for, uh, forgot his coach, but it's seven degree, D'Antonio, Coach D'Antonio at Michigan State, who learned his defense, was tutored 
as a graduate assistant, then he became a defensive back coach for the six degrees of Nick Satan and Bill Belichick. <laughs> as rusher from Pittsburgh, goes to Bravel, who won three championships with. <laughs> so it's a system fit, like you're saying. This guy fits yeah. that Belichick, Bravel system right there, coached by Narducci. Yeah, and, ten, and, ten, and Tennessee, need, you know, they need wide receiver help. They don't have much in the wide receiver. They, they picked the wide receiver later in this round. Um, I'm pretty sure that I saw that. Okay. So, but so that's the 135th pick. So, for reference, for people listening to the podcast, and people listen to it all year, the draft podcast all year, the one from last year, somebody listened to it last week. I was like, oh, heck, they're getting it all out of Joe. I, I see why they're getting information you are not going to get anywhere else in the genealogy, like numbers. In the Bible, you're getting the genealogy of where these guys <laughs> from, come from and, and how they fit into the whole uh, ecosystem. So that's the fourth round, the 135th pick, Rashard Weaver yeah, this, for University of Pittsburgh. And the other thing, as you, as you say, if you want to make money, look at this whole draft. Write down a team's draft picks. Where, where, did, they, where did they pick? Edge rushes, defense. That should tell you what that team wants to do and that coach wants to do. And that makes your picking even easier when it comes time for football season to start. So 100%. And, and um, thank you, Scott, because you have a lot of insight, man. You have natural insight for totals. Yep. yep. And how yep. Scheme, over, scheme over affects totals. Exactly. Exactly. That's you got you got to look at all right, if the if an over and under is at 42 for like the Vikings, well, who are they playing? First of all, you know, what is the other offense doing? But look at the look at the Vikings themselves and see how they're loaded up on defense. And then you can go from there. Basically, no, if it's if it's no. Minnesota Detroit playing, you know it's gonna be an under because neither team's gonna score a lot. So right. and what we teach on the podcast, and we got the book right here. Use it for wrench. It's decision analysis. So the decision analysis is used by Fortune 500 companies. Right. So it, sports betting, I think, is one of the best tools you can use to analyze your business decision making. OK, exactly. So exactly. We won't do a map patrician, let analytics make the decision for us, but we will use a little bit of analytics. Right. Yep. Use a little bit of everything in business. You never, you know, especially if you're middle class or you're poor trying to become middle class. You have to use a little bit of anything. You can't just be like David Tepper and just go technical analysis 24-7. You don't have $20 billion hedge fund to work with, right? right so right, I right. will use some analytics to say that an average score of an NFL game is 45. And Vegas knows as much as we do, so they put it at 42. And like you said, you analyze the game, right? But if it's going to be 17-10, you know, it's going to be 17-10. Exactly. That's the answer. 27 points and 27 is less than 42. <laughs> right. Exactly. So <laughs> at least that's what I've heard. So <laughs> do the old Jim Coventry don't overcomplicate. <laughs> no, and that, and and that's the thing. He's he's right. Don't overcomplicate it. Just look at what you have in front of you, black and white on the on the page. Right. That'll tell you all you need to know. I mean, you know, so a lot of these people like to overcomplicate, like to say. Well, you know, if if they get off to a to a fourteen ten score in the first quarter, then it'll never go under. Right. You never know. I mean, you never no, no. know. So, just just go with the with what's in front of you, black and white. Don't don't second guess yourself. Like you exactly. said last night. 
Zach. Marco Wilson, cornerback, Florida, six foot one, another 195 pounds. Now, uh, Todd Grantham is the coach of Florida. Florida had the worst defense. And remember, uh, Arizona is a very, very cheap team. What does that mean? Yep. Their scouting department isn't the greatest. You know, uh, Dallas will pay top money for scouts. Bill Belichick has a network and he pays his scouts a lot of money. Yep. Uh, not the case in Carolina. And I wonder if they're just picking the name and saying, oh, Marco Wilson, six for one, number five. He must be a burn from floor. He was horrible attacking last year. Uh, people ran by him like he wasn't even there. Uh, Florida stopped nobody. I mean, when I say nobody, uh, Arkansas went in there with a mediocre offense that just went up and down the field all game down in Florida. And this Marco Wilson made zero plays all year. So he's picked in the fourth round by Arizona. And hopefully they're not thinking they're just going to, you know, getting shootouts every week with people. That, that's exactly what they're thinking, I, I believe, is that they're going to score points and their, uh, their opponent's going to score points too. I, I think that's what they're thinking, but they're not doing themselves any favors by picking these guys to, to help them stop other teams because – I know Vance Joseph is doing his own. Vance Joseph is, okay, season's over. You're now a scout for the money we're paying you as a defensive coordinator. Uh, Who knows what's going on there? And they're looking for Vance Joseph to bail him out a couple games with some schemes and some big play in the fourth quarter, right? Change things around. A team that's totally different than that is your Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Pete Carroll, intellectual, smart guy, right? Uh, he makes sure they have a vice president. What we were talking about yesterday that uh, Todd Bowles should do, right? Todd Bowles should have total control, but then bring in guys, right? If you're the toughest, smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. So Pete Carroll, that made him executive vice president, general manager, and then he brings in Schneider and tells the owner to pay him as much money as he's making, Gives him power. Schneider's done a great job uh, developing the scouting department because Coach Carroll's smart. He just wants to coach defense. He's going to sit there and coach defense. And he loves motivation, right? And not anybody can pull that off. People say, oh, you can't pull that off, the, the whole motivational thing in the NFL, the whole rah-rah thing. He's pulled it off. Once Super Bowl's been yeah. to Super Bowls with that rah-rah-rah yeah. stuff. And that's what he's good at. He sticks with what he's good at, coaching defense. Uh, he provides a lot of support to Ken Norton. And we saw that last year. Uh, Pete Carroll has the same philosophy that Belichick has, except Carroll doesn't take as far as Belichick. Carroll looks at the season John Gruden does in four games, right? Four-game cycles. So yep. he evaluates yep. four-game cycles, for and then at the last four-game cycles, he takes over the defense from Norton or heavily manages. Says, Ken, we got to make X, Y, Z adjustments. So that Seattle defense is never going to be the same first 12 weeks of the season than the last four weeks of the season. Now, Belchie takes it to a whole new level. He overhauls everything. The <laughs> scouting department, the uh, water bringing in by the water boys, every single <laughs> detail, he goes over that. And uh, fascinating, people should watch it. I think it was on HBO where um, Coach Terry sold it. She's always looking for the money. I call it Coach Terry. Miss Terry. Nick Satan's wife, 
and she goes to HBO and gives him a concept. When um, Belichick comes over every year, because Belichick comes over there every week to go to the Lake House in Georgia, she's like, "Why don't we record one of those days, right?" And it's in and it's uh, Belichick and Satan having a conversation. Fascinating because they talked about details, and they went over like for an hour. Belichick and Satan, how the the players are going to fist bump and run into practice. That's what they're talking about wow. for an hour. Yeah. Wow. So Belichick talks about that. The, the last four games of the season, the tweak he should make and how the teams do the whole jump around. So he goes over to McDaniels and starts giving McDaniels freaking plays and says, hey, on this down distance, I want you to run this. But Because he knows McDaniels' dad. He's been there forever. You yeah. would think at this point in his life, he would just let McDaniels do what he wants. He doesn't. He tells one place. So the, the Patriot offense, everything is different. The defense, he, he literally at that point takes over the defense and he's making calls. He has a headset on. He brings all the papers in. And, and Belichick's making calls on defense, right? And during the week, has told McDaniel what to run. So it's crazy. It's management style. We look at it for fundamental analysis. Right, right. So Trey Brown, cornerback from Oklahoma, blue blood, right? 5'10", 186 pounds, uh, burner, right? Cover guy or he's special teams guy? Um, I, I'd say more of a cover guy. Uh, uh, they lost the cornerback to free agency, so I, I think that they don't have many draft picks, so I think he's looking to fill, fill that spot any way he can. I think maybe he thinks he found the guy, whether he did or not. Nobody knows till till season starts, but um, you know he is. He will get the guy motivated. He is a, he is an ultimate motivational guy. Very 100%. good communicator. Very good communicator with his teams. Um, you know, we'll let his like you said, we'll let his team. You know, his coordinators do what they need to do the first three quarters of the year, and then take it over the last last quarter of the year to ensure he makes the playoffs and stuff. So, yeah. That, that's what he's year. looking for. Yeah, yeah, and he, you know, he's he's a, he's a good coach. He knows what he's doing. He's been in it long enough to know. He's probably seen everything you possibly can see to throw right. at his team. He's got a he's got a really good quarterback in Russell Wilson. Um, you know, so I think he's just looking to to fill the defense. And I I I don't think he wants the defense to get off to the stat they got off last year. No, which is off, which is awful. So, um. And that West, right, and they had a lot of restrictions in Washington for us practicing yep. and all this and that. So it was tough for him. And I would, again, I would look up, people should look up that Bill Belichick, Nick Satan documentary on HBO. Yep. Look up the 60 yep. minutes episode with Pete Carroll. This is when Pete Carroll was coach at USC and he would go to the hood and hang out with drug dealers at two in the morning. <laughs> far as communication it came up with better la which becomes better seattle which is a uh, which is a uh non-profit for african-americans in the inner city yeah he used that as a tool to be able to, to communicate and recruit with the inner city recruits because he was getting killed by ucla with the hood guys the guys from gangs and stuff going to ucla so he he went down there almost got arrested with what they call the ghetto bird which was the uh the helicopter they fly in Southern California when somebody's shot somebody or, or yep. armed robbery, they look to get away. There's Pete Carroll talking to the drug dealers, learning how to communicate, but he uses it to make a lot of money and communicate with uh, his team. 
Yeah, and I know he does a lot of motivational stuff. Like he has his rookies do some stuff one day. He does like um, throwback Thursday or something. Inner, you know, turnover Tuesday. I mean, he does a lot right. of that stuff that that pulls his team closer together. So that when they when they get into games, you know, he does stuff when they're on the road in terms of um, becoming a closer team. He he likes to have his team, you know, his leaders on his team do, take the team and do things with them. So. Yeah. I mean that that's, that's where success is yeah that's where success is coming from is is that he allows his team to try to get closer and closer so and uh, and we he covers for us more often than not so yep. even yep. right who's going to cover Pete Carroll all things being equal right another right. guy exactly. who covers all things being equal is one of my favorite uh coaches uh coach Holiday at the University of Marshall he was the linchpin for Florida State in the early 90s. He recruited all those great teams, great recruiter. And his specialty is offensive line coach. So you got Josh Bell, coached and trained by Coach Holiday, who's coached God knows how many Pro Bowl, Super Bowl champion guys. He's been coaching his whole life, married to the game of football. Josh Bell, offensive lineman, six foot eight, another big tall guy, 309 pounds monster for Marshall now with your Dallas Cowboys and you guys hit the nail on the head again once again Scott and Jim Dallas needs help in that offensive line yeah that's that's where they I mean you got to protect your your 40 million dollar asset now which is Dak Prescott and you got to right. protect your guy in the backfield so you know maybe they're going to slow games down I mean maybe they're going to um you know, but building depth, the offensive line is key. I mean, right. as we've seen through the last two or three rounds, you know, teams are teams are looking for that offensive lineman, and six guy six eight. You know, I if he's got if he's fleet of foot, he's got some speed to him. You know that that's a that's a dangerous weapon to have on your offensive line. Um, and then so that's another thing Dallas too, when you see a guy six eight on the offensive line. That means that they have the, I call it the John Gruden philosophy because I heard him say it and I've seen him do it where it's a myth that the office, that the quarterback's throwing over the offensive line. They're creating mm -hmm. passing lanes for this guy to throw. That's yeah. how exactly uh, their offensive line works. They're trying to hold the defensive line long enough for, for Dak in this case to either scramble out of the pocket or move to his left or right two steps and, and throw. So with a bad knee, that's and that's the thing too. That's another key with a bad knee. He's yeah. gonna have to stay in the pocket and throw through those lanes that those offensive linemen have it. Now you say, how's exactly. that relevant to making money watching football? The way you make money off of it, you make a determination before the game whether the opposing defensive line, right, is gonna do the whole Mike Tyson. Remember, Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan to get hit in the face. You want to get yeah, a great yeah. passing lane, kid. That defensive line hit him in the face and screw up that play. Exactly. Exactly. It goes to it goes to what is the what is the coach doing? Right. I mean, what is what is the scheme? What is the philosophy? If if you're drafting a lot of offensive linemen, you basically know what the scheme is. In Dallas's case, they're building offensive linemen to hold them out so Dak can stay on his feet. Right, because they don't want him to get hit. They don't want him to get injured. 
Uh, they need they need him him as their quarterback. So. So you have Buddy Johnson. Well, you have again. I guess you have you have on the board. You have your scoring, and then you're like, well, I better get this offensive line because the guy after this is really bad, and we don't want that guy. So, Deontay Smith, offensive lineman from another AAA school, uh, American Conference. That's why I say Paro Six, because where USF is at, where I graduated, uh, they get all these players in the NFL. So they got a lot of guys in the NFL. DeAndre Smith, offensive lineman, East Carolina. And when they played USF and I watched East Carolina play, they had a really good offensive line and they have a really good coach. Houston, that guy won uh, FCS national titles. So what that means, he's good at developing guys. So he's a really good developed offensive lineman from East Carolina, six foot four, 289 pounds. And again, you look at marketing, uh, Cincinnati, is the champion of the AAC last year and went to the Sugar Bowl with our six degrees of Bill Belichick and Nick Satan against Kirby Smart from <laughs> Georgia. <laughs> Georgia Bulldogs. What do you think about that pick? Cincinnati and Bengals. So they needed offensive line help, and they finally made it until pick 139 to take one. <laughs> so um, very small, though, for an offensive lineman. 6'4", 289 is, is small. Right. So he's going to have to put on some, some, uh, some muscle, some poundage, um, yeah. and get up to that 300 range, 305. Um, you know, when he's that small as an offensive lineman, you're probably quick. You probably have, um, some athleticism to you, but more like a tight end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To pick him at 139 when you need the help is that's a lot of, that's a lot of waiting. And Burrow, as Chad said, you know, he's looking pretty good right. coming off that knee injury. He needs as much protection on the offensive line as he can get. And right. unfortunately, I don't think this guy is, is going to protect them. No. Um, I don't think they're looking at him as a starter. They're looking at him as a backup. So Backup practice guy yeah. because yeah. they're not running uh, the wishbone or like really East Carolina, the offensive run was RPO the whole time. RPO, let's run fast, let's wear the other defense down. And he did a zone block where he taps the guy and, you know, quarterback yeah. chooses where the hips goes where the guy he tapped. So that Burrow can't do that. His knees are messed up. You can't do that. Yeah, and, anyway. and, and that's the thing I'm afraid with. You know, look at them last year. Once Burrow went out, they were they were anemic on offense. Right. So at first they don't want to pay for backup. Yeah, that first round pick of Jamar Chase is is not going to pan out if Barrow's not there for six, 17 games to play quarterback. Right. So, right. So that, that all goes to domino effect with the with the draft picks. You know, Barrow goes out, Chase is is not non-existent, not non-existent, but he's not as good as he should be. Right. And then the offensive lineman's a backup, which which does not help him out at all. So. Again, the one guy in the scouting department for Cincinnati. <laughs> Mike Brown this, Mike Brown that. <laughs> Joe Burrow is making the draft picks for them. <laughs> it's not a good situation. So, Not a good situation in Cincinnati, and you make more money bidding against teams than you do for them. We got Buddy Johnson. It reminds me of that Danny DeVito movie, Christmas movie. I think that, that was the guy's name. Buddy Johnson, linebacker from Texas A&M University, 
to CNM, $13.1 billion endowment, right? Uh, billion dollar investment in the football program. And it gives birth to Buddy Johnson, linebacker, six foot two, 240 pounds. And again, I'm going to do a study on this, but I'm going to have to. I'm going to look for guys, because it'll be easier this way, who are not in the Urban Meyer, uh, Harbaugh brothers, in the Bill Belichick, Nick Satan, six degrees of Nick Satan, Bill Belichick, <laughs> Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher, who won a national championship with Nick Satan. What do you think of this guy? So just looking at, at some of his stuff, is he only had one sack? In 13 games. So I don't think he's a, a pass rusher. I think he's a drop back in coverage type of guy. 77. Run tackles. stopper. Run stop first. Yep. 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 Run stopper um, on passing downs back back on defense, drop into coverage. Right. Um, so those those are the two things that, that kind of jump out at me when I look at this guy is is that, you know, and he's going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Again, uh, you know, their, their hallmark over the years has been uh, great defense. So, stop the run first. Stop the run first and make teams one-dimensional. So that's what they're looking at. So with, Yeah, with he looks like a guy. It just, it's changed, right? Because you used to have to be 250 to stick your head in the hole. And we talked about this yep. specifically with John Bronson, who played in the NFL eight years. But you need a special type of guy to stick his head in the hole. It's crazy enough and desperate enough to do it, to stay in the NFL. Uh, but right. he's 240, he's enough. Maybe he's like the other guy, the other fourth rounder, who, who needs another 10 pounds. Yeah, and I think teams, and what a team's going to now quickness on defense, right? Becoming quick, trying to start, you know, Tampa, Tampa Bay blueprint right there. Quick, quick off the line, quick in coverage, you know, smart guys in coverage wanting to start. So, you know, the, a lot of some of these picks are a Tampa Bay blueprint, right? And that one might be one of them. So, 100%. And remember, the air raid won the Super Bowl with Andy Reid and got to the Super Bowl the year before with the Rams. So the Rams picked Jake. Remember, Ben Raslap, Faith Family Football, Houston Baptist, same offensive coordinator, uh, uh, Kitty, I believe his last name is, or Kelly, best friends with Clingsbury, uh, the head coach of your Arizona Cardinals. So he taught us the air raid. The air raid is you read the defense with the quarterback. Quarterback gives you a signal. You go and you wait for the ball. So now the Rams have a smarter quarterback who can read defenses fast, give the signal to the wide receiver. The wide receiver knows it himself. He goes. So Jacob Harris from you cannot finish university, UCF, our <laughs> rivals there, USF, burner, man, six foot five, Florida speed, tall guy again, 211 pounds, blur, can run like the wind. What do you think about this guy? Um, another depth pick, right. I think. I think with the with Woods and Cup there, I don't think those guys are coming off the field a lot. Um, they just signed Deshaun Jackson too in the offseason. So that that's a guy that, that's probably the third wide receiver. Um, probably not gonna come off the field as much. Um, so I, I'm thinking that that's a depth pick. More that's of a, a depth uh, pick too. And he he needs to, you know, I would give him the advice, man. Um build rapport like we were talking about yesterday with Chad, with Stafford because part of the air raid is wearing the other team's defense down 
So, you know, late in that second half, when you have all these uh, defensive backs tired, running around chasing those random receivers, bringing Jacob Harris for a bomb. Right. And the, and the other thing with these teams, with these quarterbacks is they usually have that one guy to lean on. One guy that they, they like throwing to more than anybody else. Like with Goff in LA, it was, it was cup, you know, with Cam Newton, it was Jacoby Myers last year, you know, so these quarterbacks have somebody. So get, early in training camp, get with Stafford, get that rapport, you know, Stafford might go to the coaching staff and say, Hey, listen, I want this guy on the field in third down situations. If I can get him the ball, he can do something for us. So, yeah, in, yeah. in especially McVay, because McVay has dabbled in the NFL, coached with Bruton, Lifer. He has yep. one coach. And I, and I would love this job. I'll ask him for this job. Yeah, well, is he going to say no, right? Uh, you take the binoculars, and all you do, and especially in the second half, is you look at defensive backs and look who's maybe hurt, look who's maybe wearing down, look who's maybe dehydrated. Yep. And, and you signal down to McVay, McVay sings just to Stafford, and you bring in Jacob Harris to run at that guy and go deep to run past yep. him because he's fresh. Jacob Harris is fresh. He wants a four, one or four two, runs by that guy, boom, touchdown, yep. touchdown Rams. Royce Newman, offensive lineman, old miss. Uh, he was recruited by the guy before, and he works now with Lame Kiffin. Six foot six, 310 pounds to your Green Bay Packers. They need offensive line depth. Absolutely. Big, tall, big, uh, not a tall guy, but a, but a, a taller guy. Right. Um, so, depending on what the situation is with Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, um, if you could keep him upright, Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks at picking apart defenses. So, right. that's probably what that pick is, is aimed at, you know, is, is protecting them. And if it's the uh, young guy, you definitely right. need to protect him. So, right. The next pick is a head scratcher. A guy, I mean, Missouri was the worst defense in the SEC. They gave up like 50 points a game. People were running by this guy like he wasn't even there. Uh, Tyree Gillespie from the horrible Missouri uh, secondary. The Missouri secondary was so bad, they had this guy – was a walk-on quarterback and, and they had him playing safety and the other safety was trying Gillespie so I don't know uh, I don't know if it's a special teams pick his his dad is best friends with Mike Mayhawk I don't know what's going on here with with uh Tyree Gillespie six foot I, I wonder if he's fast. that's the only because Gruden and, and Mayhawk love speed right. so I wonder if he's fast he that's the only way yeah, I wonder if he's really fast and they think he could turn into somebody that can cover up the cornerback's mistakes. That's, right. that's what I wonder. That right. That's the only thing I wonder. So right. um, other than that, I don't know why they would make the pick. As you said, the Missouri defense was terrible. So, Yeah, no, and, you know, you look at the different guys for the draft and you say, oh, okay, maybe this guy's good on a terrible defense. He didn't look good. You know, I, I, I didn't like his body language either. No. Plus, it's the second safety they've picked. Right. So, and it's almost like you guys are saying too. They're they're like the Chauvin defense attorney, just throwing yes. stuff at the wall, trying to see if something sticks. Something sticks. Exactly. Exactly. So, 
in the last this is yeah the last pick in the fourth round uh chad's about to come on Last pick in the fourth round is another Willie Taggart Harbaugh family pick from your Florida State criminals, Joshua Kane Doe, six foot seven, 265 pounds. What this means is that he can great defensive line train, training from the Harbaugh family, and he's lightning fast coming off that edge, regardless of the 265-70, and this man can stop the run. And he has some uh, off-the-field issues because he was pixelated. Yep. Yep. I'm just looking at some of his stats now. He started every game his first two years, and then he only started three his third year. So obviously yeah. something something went awry. Um, and last year he started eight games, he only made 13 tackles. He returned an interception for a touchdown. So he's not he wasn't very productive in the games that he played in. So he wasn't sacking anybody. You know, he had that one interception for a touchdown, but 13 tackles in eight games is isn't just over one a game? So that's not a lot of production. So there, I would think there had to be somebody else there they could have taken that they 100%. just passed on and didn't want to take. Right. Um, you know, they projected him for a round seven draft pick, and he got picked in the fourth round. So <laughs> that's that's a definite overreach. Yeah, and, and, and Taggart is good at developing athletes and getting guys going, right? Yep. Uh, so I wonder now, now in the fourth round, right? Now in the fourth round, it seems like they're picking uh, measurements, right? Or how guys yeah. test it and picking them, not necessarily how good of football players they are. Exactly. And then the arrogance too, I can teach my guy my techniques and we're going to be good. Exactly. Now we have uh, a guy who might make some news later on. We'll have breaking news. Undrafted free agent, Chad Nolan. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? What's up? How, How you doing, doing Chad? Good, good. How we doing? We're, oh, yeah. We're in the fourth round right now? or Well, we're no, catching we're up. In the, we're in the so, fifth. Yeah, we're in the fifth. So we're in the first pick of the fifth uh, round. And it was Luke, Luke Farrell from Ohio State. Right. <laughs> there you go. We were talking about it last night. <laughs> we are talking about it last night. So it turned out, right, after a certain point, Chad, it turned into the six degrees of Urban Meyer, Bill Belichick, Nick Satan, and the Harbaugh family. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do a study afterwards to see who got picked. It wasn't in that little business networking circle. So now we have an Urban Meyer, six degrees of Urban Meyer, Luke Farrell, uh, tight end, Ohio State, six foot six, 258 pounds, tight end. He's a blocking tight end, right? Uh, and, uh, 
I'm going to take a, a little bathroom break. I'll be right back, guys. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> All right. What's up? What's going on, Scott? Not much. How you doing? Pretty good, man. So, uh, steal the draft from me. My uh, Elijah Molden, uh, pick number 100, round three to the Tennessee Titans. Um, that's a kid that I, I trained with. Uh, he trained him up with the same speed coach as me, so I kind of spent the last three or four months around him. And, like, that kid is a gem, man. He, he's got it up top. He's studious, works hard, uh, got all the tools, strength and, and speed-wise. I mean, legit speed. Can play outside. Can play the nickel. You can put him at safety. You can play any of the, the positions back there. Uh, super happy for him, man. I think that's an awesome pick. And then who did the Titans take in the first round? They took a defensive guy. Did they take yeah. a linebacker? Yeah, I could check that. Yeah, check that real I quick because that's it. Um, interesting. I think that you know they're yeah, they did. They, 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 they took the they took Folly from Virginia Tech, I believe. That's Is he the took. six? He's not. The, he's the six six guy. Uh, let me see what he's. Six two, one ninety seven. Okay. Oh, he's a DB, right? He's DB. Yeah. 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 I mean, interesting. They're. I mean, Titans are really building that defensive backfield, man. So that's that's uh, it's exciting. You know, they're. Uh, I mean, they've been a pretty competitive team the last two years. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he he's he's basically Vrabel's basically building what what he what he had in New England, which was really good defense. Yeah. And then he'll, yeah. he'll piece the offense together. He's got Derrick Henry, obviously, but you know, that defense is going to be really solid with that, with the kid you just mentioned and Fowley too. So and they have, they the have secondary Malcolm. could be really good. Malcolm Butler they have there too, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't think they were talking about releasing them, but I don't think they have yet. So oh, I mean, man, if, they, if they keep Malcolm Butler with those two guys, I mean, those are three guys that can play that you can put anywhere that can play that man coverage that, uh, yeah. With, you know, yep. The pick. You know, the Patriots always had a lockdown guy that could take a guy away, you know, so that. uh, And maybe that that kid you were talking about in round three, he might be the one that as the season goes on can improve and, and stop that yeah. number one wide receiver from doing. Yeah, it. no, he can be. He's a stud. Yeah, I, I his upside is is tremendous. I mean, they, they, yeah, I expect him to make an impact year one, a big impact. Yeah. Good inside stuff there. This man trained with a guy picked in the third round. Not the fourth round that we were talking about. The third round for R. Hey, we're inside, man. You know, we're like one degree now. Yeah. Yeah, Another we're three guy. degrees away from Bill Belichick. Man. Um, I just bolded to Brable to Belichick. <laughs> Actually, I, we're one because I, I, I opened up the gate for Belichick in 2008 so he could see uh, JPP. Nate Allen. It's funny how old I am. Nate Allen's out of the league now. <laughs> this seems like it was yesterday. Yeah, another guy that I uh, got to work out with a couple times. Um, man, I got a last name is like Friedrichson. He's a tight end out of uh, Penn State, I believe. I got a. He's gonna be susceptible, like route runner. He was getting a lot of work with TJ Hushmanzada, who was helping him. Um, and he made a lot of progress over, you know, the, the time he spent with him. Was it Fryamuth? Was that who it was? Fry, Fry, tied in out of, out of what school? Penn State. Fryamuth, yeah, Penn State. Who drafted him? The Steelers? 
that's what I'm looking at now. I I think it was the Steelers that drafted him. Yeah, yeah, no, that's him. He's uh first name's Pat, right? Yep. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, Pat, man, he's gonna be a stud. He uh 260 big boy, but he has great feet and he runs good routes and he understands how to get in and out of breaks. Um, he's a full package as a tight end. So that that's a uh that's that's a good pick there. He's gonna he's gonna be able to fit fill in right away and be a, a legit pass catcher and blocker. Yeah, because oh, he got drafted in the second round. Second round, wow. Yeah, Still is in the second round. So that that leads me to believe that Ebron might be there one more year and then he'll be out. So yeah, that'll that'll open up Fryamos to take what, over. What pick? What pick overall was that? Was that late second round? 55. 55. 55. Okay. Yep. Nice. Nice. Um, Scott, are you, are you able to look at what QBs are the next that are supposed to come off the board? Yeah, I can look at it. All right. So we got, what I'll do is, so we'll catch up real quick. I'll go through five picks and you guys tell me what stands out. So New York Jets, uh, safety Auburn, 62 to 20, uh, Texans tight end Miami, Brevin Jordan, uh, six foot three, 245 pounds. Atlanta, Taquan Graham, defensive line, Texas. That defensive line in Texas was pretty good. Six foot four, 295 pounds. And then the one guy on the, <laughs> the one guy on the scouting staff at, at the Bengals picked a kicker in the fifth round, even uh, Peterson. And this guy was bad. He missed some big kicks. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't even know he even got drafted. Even McPherson, University of Florida. You said the Falcons got a tight end. Yeah, that's that's um, they got Kyle Pitts too, right? In the first right. round. Yeah, I mean this that guy not out, seen the field. Yeah, that stands out to me. I mean that's just interesting that they're going so heavy at at that position, and um, right. they already got such a a, a big time guy there. They feel like that's a that's a need of theirs. He's more of a pass passing guy. Yeah, he's like a pa- like a blocker or a pass catcher. What's that? What's the height weight on the tight end? Yeah, no, this guy's a running guy. He would be, let's see, uh, six foot six, two hundred fifty-eight pounds. Uh, okay, yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah, Pitts Pitts is only like what two. Is he only like two thirty-five? Yeah, he's two thirty-five, but he runs like a four-four, four-three. Yeah, yeah, legit vertical speed. Wait, so I see him more on a slot because he can just run over any slot guy. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, no, we were talking they, about they can they can move him around too. And what you were saying, trying to get hands on him, he's so big. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be hard to slow him down getting down the field. Right. So, your Philadelphia Eagles running back from Memphis, another AAC guy, 5'11", 195. That kicker stands out to me. (laughs) Of course, he went to Cincinnati, right? Right. So Chad, the, the the quarterbacks that are left are Ellinger from Texas, Jamie Newman from Wake Forest, 
Felipe Franks from Arkansas, Peyton Ramsey from Northwestern. Okay. Those those are the last ones. Those are the basically the, the next top four or five that are left on the board. So, so those might yep. become those might become the signees after the round seven the undrafted guys. Yeah. So Felipe Franks, uh not good at all. Yeah. He, he's one of those guys from the neck up. You know, from the neck down, he's really good. He was a five-star quarterback from neck up. Uh, serious problems with Florida. Uh, basically got kicked off the team, you know, unofficially kicked off the team of Florida. He goes to one of my favorite coaches who covers and great motivational guy, Sam Pittman, at University of Arkansas, as my wife would say. And uh, he really couldn't grasp the offense. He did the best he could. But, uh, yeah, he couldn't really grasp the offense at Arkansas. And I can't imagine that Arkansas offense being too complicated. He seems like he would be a, then a practice squad type of quarterback then if he's, if he's picked right. up. Yeah. Or an arm in, in just an arm in a training camp. You got uh, Larry Brown. Offensive lineman, six foot six, 332 pounds from Missouri. Now, Missouri had a great offensive line and great coaching on that offensive line. Then you have Caden Stearns. Caden Stearns from Texas. Again, uh, his brother played at Houston Baptist with Ben Raslaff. They had Tony Fields, the second. Michael Carter, the second. From Duke, safety from Duke, and then Jalen Moore from Western Michigan University. Roll your boat again, PJ Fleck, a PJ Fleck recruit from Western Michigan, six foot five, three hundred and fifteen pounds. What stands out to you guys in those five picks? Uh, offensive lineman. I mean, that, that's that's where it's at with these teams now. They're, they're trying to get any offensive lineman they can get. So any offensive lineman that's picked now that that can play a little bit. Is uh is a big key for for these teams now that want to run the ball, so. Hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I think the marginal utility is a little bit bigger for linemen than skill guys. I think skill guys are all a little bit closer, um, height, weight, speed. Um, I think they're the marginal utility on the line. I think it's you know the best linemen to the worst linemen is a uh, is a bigger, you know. Then um, the the best receiver to the worst receiver. I think there's just a lot less utility in between guy to guy. Wow, that's that big insight. I hadn't thought of that at all. So yeah, late rounds. That would be. I feel like you, you get the lineman late in these four, five, six, seven, and you sign the skill guys undrafted free agent. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the picks, a lot of the picks in this round now are the cornerbacks, the safeties. And some tackles. So now the now teams are starting to you know pick defensive yeah. secondary and stuff like that. So, um, well, this is the point of the draft here. You definitely want to start bolstering those modern day NFL positions, right? Man, you want to get the as we said, edge rush, cornerback, um, offensive line, because we know that despite the skill position greatness, if we don't have those other building blocks, we're in a lot of trouble. Hey, right on. All right, and that's. Coming from above, 
coming from uh as we have a great crowd here at podbean let me uh not ignore podbean we've got a bunch of people here on podbean thanks guys for joining on and the greatness of jim commentary coming in his voice from above like god coming up <laughs> moses spoke to the people jim commentary thank you jim for joining us yeah, glad to be your crazy day, but I will say what, as long as I can, we'll talk some football, and you guys are definitely carrying the heavy weight today, doing a great job. Just glad to be with you guys. Oh, thank you, Jim. No, absolutely. The more is he, he is coming from above. Where is he? He is coming. He I gave him a link on Podbean, and uh, I love Podbean because, you know, you get on all the platforms. And Podbean, there's a lot of really good sports fans on Podbean, and the number one show that we have on Podbean is our horse racing show. <laughs> the Kentucky Derby. That reminds me to tweet out the, the picks for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, text at 1025 on Podbean says, how about them Cowboys? So break down the, the Cowboys draft, guys, for text at 1015. I, I think the Cowboys have gotten some you know, after the first round, obviously, I mean, Parsons is a great, great athlete, great, great uh, prospect, but I think they are now honing in on what they need, which is offensive line help. And I think now that they're, they're starting to draft what they need a lot more than what they, after the first round, offensive line help, um, defense, anything on the defense that Dallas um, can get and line help they are getting now. So I, I think they've had a, a better draft as it's went along, but you know how Jerry Jones is. He sees that big Micah Parsons star in the sky. He's going to, he's going to pluck him out of the air and draft him just like CD Lamb last year. So um, I think their draft has gotten better as they've gone along. Mm-hmm. Hey, can someone go through the, their picks so far, the Cowboys picks? I can give you the first four. So obviously we know Parkin, Parsons is at 12, pick 12, and they went with cornerback Kelvin Joseph at 44, which I had him very lowly rated. And at that pick, I thought there were five other corners, at least they could have gone. And then they came back at pick 75 with defensive lineman Osa Adizigizua, and I had him as defensive tackle eight on my board when there were available players. And then they went with Chauncey Goldston at 84. Uh, overall, those are the first four picks I had them with. And again, aside from Parsons, they were really not on my radar at all as early picks. Yeah, so let me go through them real quick. And uh, text 1025. Make sure to subscribe text so you can get our uh, make some money watching football with our free uh, NFL knowledge. You can make more money uh, than paying for picks. So Dallas... Number one was Michael Parsons, linebacker. Kelvin Joseph, quarterback from Kentucky. The Stoops family. Asa Andizwaga, edge guy from, uh, I digress, Chip Kelly, right? Uh, UCLA. Chauncey Goldston, edge from Iowa. The six degrees of Bill Belichick and Nick Satan. Uh, Nashawn Wright, cornerback from, oh, Chad Nolan can tell us some situations. Yeah, I watched him play all year. But yeah, what do you think about this man? Um, I mean, like six four, long run, talented. I mean, definitely needs to like thicken up and you know get ready to like make tackles in the NFL. Right. Solid physical, open field tackling. Um, as a coverage guy, you know, like his length is is 
super good. You know, the way he can run with his length, he covers a lot of ground. He's, he's a great coverage guy. Um, I think where he's going to lack early on is going to be uh, just the physicality and getting people to the ground. You know, we're going to, you know, as a, as a player, you're going to get beat and, you know, turning that dig into a tackle and a 12 yard gain versus him slipping and it's break off to the races, 35 yard touchdown. Um, that's huge um, as a defensive back, just tackling and living to be able to cover another down. Right. Uh, so I think that is where he um, will, I mean, until I see, that's where I'll be looking to see him doing that, to see him as a complete player at this next level. No, totally. And text of one, two, five says Kelvin is a beast and probably uh, the se second best uh, man to man quarterback has some off field issues, right? Uh, takes 10, 25 says he needs more strength. Uh, Joe, you were going to say something? All right, so after Nashawn Golston, Chauncey Golston, Iowa, Edge, Nashawn Wright, Jabril Cox, linebacker, LSU. Coach O, Coach O knows how to coach defense. And then Josh Bell that we talked about. Coach Holiday, one of the greatest offensive line coaches in college football history. Coach Holiday, he's the head coach of your Marshall. We are Marshall, Josh Bell, offensive lineman giving um, them offensive line depth. All right. So we're going to go for our next five here. Isaiah Laudermill, right? Legacy goes defensive lineman from Wisconsin. So we talk about Coach Alvarez at Wisconsin. Justin Fuentes, they know how to coach defense. Amir Smith, Marset, wide receiver Iowa, goes to uh, Big Ten territory for marketing, Minnesota, uh, Dalen Nixon, defensive lineman, Iowa, 6'3", 305 pounds. Line play at the University of Iowa goes to Houston. Brendan James, offensive lineman, Nebraska, 6'6", 300 pounds. Uh, they got Coach Frost from UCAM Finnish University. So we love how he's getting his ass beat over there in Nebraska. Can't make a bowl game, barely makes four or five games. Offensive lineman, I'll see him in person. He goes to Mesa, California. And then you have Sean Wade, cornerback, Ohio State. What stands out for you guys in those five picks? Sean Wade was supposed to be like a, I feel like a top DB, and he, he's going fifth round. Yep. He got exposed in the, um, he didn't play too well in the uh, the playoff games. It seemed that those couple games at the end of the season really seemed to tank his draft stock. I mean, dramatic. He must have some off field problems, but he is in a good organization, right? Fail forward. <laughs> to uh, the Harbaugh family. Yeah. Who, who He got drafted by the Ravens? Ravens. Ravens, yep. Yep. It's always better to be lucky than good. Hey, one thing yeah, – Go, Go ahead. ahead, Chad. I was going to say, one thing about the Cowboys draft was that – that sticks out to me is that they seem to be going after all defensive guys and, then, and, um, and now it's like some linemen. So, they're pretty set on Prescott and – Elliot Zeke in the backfield. Like they got their QB running back set. I don't think they're going to take anything in that area in this draft. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think Dallas is going wide receiver either because I think they like Cooper, Gallup, and uh, yeah, CD Lamb. Exactly. Right? I yeah. Think yeah. That, so. exactly. Right. so, text 125 says Cox is a good linebacker. They have no faith in their linebacker core. Uh, Dallas. Dallas, actually. That's what I love about sports betting. Because it's a collaborative effort between all of us, man. We all 
share information. Thank you, Text125. Uh, he has a question. What is your view on this Seattle draft? Do you care about Russ? All over there. What do you guys think? Seattle. The la- let's the run lack through of- Seattle sticks. Yeah, let's run through Seattle the, sticks. The lack of Seattle draft? Is that what, is that what you're asking? <laughs> they only had, I think they only had like three or four picks. Right. So I don't think they had a lot. Yeah, they only they had took a guys. Wide, yeah, they took Dwayne Eskridge, I think. Right. Wide receiver. Um, so they needed a third wide receiver because they didn't have one. The, right. the third receiver, David Moore from last year, went went to Cat went yeah. to Carolina. I'm not sure. And Metcalf, Metcalf isn't gonna be like ever be a Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs type. You know, he's gonna be yeah. a big body, vertical, uh, good after the catch, slant, quick screen, yep. vertical, back shoulder, can go all the way with his he's got four three speed linear. But yeah, I mean, I don't think he'll ever get to that point where he's just Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, put him on island. He, you're going to rely on him to get separation 75% of the time. Right, right. And the, and the other thing is, as you know, Josh, what's, what's Carroll's philosophy? Play defense, run the ball. Right. He wants to run the ball. And, you know, Wilson, uh, from reports they're saying, is he's, he's fine now with Carroll, but he wants to throw the ball. And I, I don't think they have the 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 weaponry to throw the ball, so I think they're going to run the ball a lot. So, so I think that's basically what their draft is telling you is they're going to run the ball. They're not, you know, they're not heavy on wide receivers. They didn't have a draft this year, basically. So, well, they want to run the football, but the problem from last year still exists. They made a couple of ads. A Carlos Dunlap last season, which really helped their pass rush, and. Jamal Adams really bumped things up as the season went on. But at the end of the day, those linebackers, and we um, are another year older, and I know they're having a contract dispute. I think it was it Wagner or KJ, right? One of those two is and a contract dispute where they may not come back. But nonetheless, this could still be a Seattle team that goes back to giving up a lot of points because there's a lot of sketchy talent, and even in the secondary. And adding experts, they may need a third receiver. However, he, again, 5'9", 190. They already have Tyler Lockett, who plays a exactly. lot of slot. Eskridge does not profile to be an outside guy. And Tyler Lockett is not your outside guy. He will play outside, but he is best utilizing the slot. And they add a guy who has, again, 40-second um, percentile speed score based on his size-speed ratio. Agility, only yeah. 51st percentile. Explosive is 52nd. So this is a borderline average athlete who's tiny. I don't know how he fits into this offense in year one. Yeah, and they, they lost it, Shaquille Griffin to Jacksonville. Supposedly. Right. That was their best corner, I think, right, Jim? Yes, but he didn't play well last year. But yes, he was their best corner. He did not play right. well. So I, I agree with Jim. They're, they're, they have some sketchy, sketchy talent on on both sides of the ball, really. I mean, Chris Carson's going to have to be all world this year. And Penny coming back, they're going to have to be all world running the ball. For them, because I, I don't see how Wilson's going to be able to throw the ball like he wants to or like like he he, he can. So they have basically have two slot guys right now in Lockett and Eskridge. They have one outside receiver in Metcalf. I mean, yeah, that's where, what twenty five is saying. And one thing about Pete Carroll is even though he's won all these, you know, national titles and Super Bowl, it, they don't change certain things that maybe they should change. 
like 90, I say 95% of people can't change. And uh, Scott changed his fantasy stuff a year and a half ago, right? Yep. yep. Most people can't do that. And I go back. It's funny, the 1989, 90% heat, 90% humidity. And I knew my friend was up to something because he, he, he was caddying at, a, at an elite golf course. And he brings me to be the assistant caddy with Hugh Culverhouse, the owner of the Bucks, who did not tip caddies. <laughs> That's why he was out there. <laughs> and he was interviewing Buddy Ryan, of all people, for the head coaching job of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And one of those things that sticks in your head, but I guess it makes sense being the, the football nutcase that I am. Buddy Ryan says that he didn't believe in spending money or drafting high offensive linemen because he felt that offensive linemen, as good as they were good enough, the good enough theory, if they hustled, it would be good. And I think that's Pete Carroll's Achilles heel. He, he, he has that philosophy. He feels that if offensive linemen just good enough, as long as he can motivate them and, and you know, that motivational stuff that he has in team building stuff, that it's just good enough. And, 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 and you see Russell Wilson running for his life. And every time I see him do that, I think about that. <laughs> He, now, I do want he's to gonna again because I don't. Did they they didn't address their offensive line at all in in the draft and stuff? Did they? No or free agency. He always Not gets really. drafted free agents and he gets whoever he works out guys every week. And if you're big and can do a little bit of blocking, he feels he can motivate you <laughs> to hustle for him. And, and Jim, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that what Russell Wilson was complaining about at the beginning of the offseason? Is, is he was getting hit way too much? Right. Yes. Now, yeah. the addition of Gabe Jackson, that was a good – in the right guard from the Raiders, that was a very, very nice add. Certainly okay. enough, but a start. And yep. the one move that was kind of quiet during the free agency period is I think they have an opportunity with Gerald Everett coming in at tight end. He never materialized with the L.A. Rams. He had a couple of short periods of time where he showed the athleticism and the ability to produce, but playing, you know, two tight ends, both he and Higby rotating often, and it was a wide receiver-centric offense, especially in the first few years he was there when they were going heavy 11 and just pounding the receivers with targets. I think Gerald Everett will be very happy playing with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has made some very ordinary tight ends look good. Will Disley, the dude can barely run. He's one of the slowest, least athletic tight ends we've ever seen. He's had good games. Jacob Hollister. And finally, Wilson has extremely athletic tight end. So I understand that and more that slot area. But he could be a real X factor for this offense, especially when the plays break down. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Agree and with and that. he's won a Super Bowl with that philosophy. So you can't argue with him. And remember, Buddy Ryan went to the playoffs all the time with that philosophy. So it's one of those things, right? What do you think about that, Chad? Uh, man, I wasn't really – I was getting some food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, are you guys, what are you guys talking about? Fill me in about hustling on the offensive line. You were talking about marginal utility, right? So that speaks to that. So that makes oh, a lot so of I, sense, I, I, right? You guys are talking about Pete Carroll. He thinks he, that he can get away with guys hustling and, and sacrificing talent. Exactly. And that kind of speaks to what you're saying, kind of links. So that makes gives me more knowledge, more insight. There's less marginal utility, you said, with offensive linemen than with skill positions. And I, I just think Seattle showed the last half of the year you know, their defense got much, much better, but running the ball, you know, they didn't have Carson a lot and stuff. 
in the last half of the year. I get that. And Penny wasn't, wasn't back. But they need Carson to stay healthy for most of the year for them to be a, a balanced team, if they're going to be anywhere near balanced. But their passing game needs need some help. I mean, they need, they need to find another outside wide receiver to, to go with Metcalf. Yeah, they need a. I don't think Lockett is. I don't think Lockett's the outside guy at all. If they try him outside, I don't think. I think he's going to fail. So. Yeah. I agree. All right, so let's go to the next five. All right, get back in here. The NFL draft tracker. Oh, hey, and Josh, what I was saying, I think the marginal utility is bigger in on the, the linemen have more marginal utility. Got it. I think the best linemen, like what we saw in the Super Bowl, what happens when the backup goes in, right? right. Huge difference. I don't think that difference is as blatant on from the best receiver to the worst. Got it. And, and I think that's why Kansas City went after the guys they went after because they didn't want to rely on backups to protect Mahomes next year. So I, I think that's why they went after Brown and Tooney and, and, you know, they signed long out of retirement. So I think they, they knew that Mahomes was not going to be protected if they went with backups. They went from having a bad situation to having a lot of depth I'm yeah. very excited for them because they can withstand yeah. a couple of injuries and still be good. Not necessarily a tackle, which is where the big problem was, but they have players who are versatile. Joe Tooney can move to the outside. Yeah. Um, Long, he can move to the outside. They both have played guard, but they have the ability to move. And so I think these opportunities uh, will help them should they have that type of bad injury luck again in the 2021 season. Yeah. And then isn't Fisher Fisher and the other guy is still out there too, right? So they haven't signed anywhere, right? Kansas City is, and they also have said they are not averse to re-signing either him or um, yeah, Fisher or is it Mitchell Schwartz? Schwartz? Yeah, they're they're open. To, neither of them have signed, and yeah, but I don't know at this point they're going to have the room for them. Even I don't know how many linemen you're really going to carry, but yes, they either of them or both could resign. Yeah, so. All right, so I'm going to run through the the five, and then we're going to have some questions from Text 125. You got Sean Wade, cornerback, uh, Ohio State. We talked about him. Tommy Doyle, Miami of Ohio, six foot eight, 326 pounds. Uh, Ohio farm guy going to Buffalo. Man, Buffalo needs help on the offensive line, man. That guy was running for his life every five minutes. Noah Gray, tight end, Duke, six foot four. 240 pounds. We'll look at the Duke endowment a little bit. Uh, safety, Cincinnati, AAC again, going to a smart team, Washington. Remember, Luke Finkel, the defensive coordinator with Urban Meyer winning those national championships. And go online, like I said, go on YouTube and look at Luke Finkel's senior year wrestling when he was getting almost pinned by a guy bigger than him. He comes back, he gets mad and pins a guy, does a reverse move, pins a guy. And the crowd goes crazy, right? Luke Finkel, the head coach of Cincinnati, great coach, developing player, safety, six foot, uh, 200 pounds, goes to Washington. Jamar Johnson, safety, Indiana. What do you guys think about those picks? As you can see, the safeties and the cornerbacks are starting to come off now. So, right. I mean, 
Denver got one. Indy got one. Uh, Carolina got one. And uh, Washington got one. So now, now coaches are starting to focus on cornerback uh, secondary and uh, filling depth out there and hopefully hitting on one or two of them late in this draft. So, yeah. So text for 25. Yeah, go ahead. You had something, you had something, Scott? No, I'm all set. All right, cool. Text 125 says Houston is another team that I can't understand those moves. I feel fat, bad for the fans over there, uh, what they have to put up in the last few years. Again, uh, you had the – just because the dad's a great businessman doesn't mean the son is. So the son's not in control, and that uh, organization is a 100% disaster when your franchise quarterback is a sexual deviant that's almost out of the league. What do you guys think? So the, the quarterback the situation – they had no picks, and now they don't know what the situation with their franchise quarterback is. He doesn't want to play there. Now we have the legal issues, and so they are in so much flux. They're best off tanking the season away, right. getting the number one pick next year, and you know, first pick, second round, and so on and so forth. The players they had in the free agency were nothing more than getting enough warm bodies on the field to have starters in depth. They were never moves to be competitive. And this, this season, they were never going to win more than three or four games anyway. The odds of them winning two games are very slight. But I, you know, we, we give no credence to this organization to being good, but this is the way they should play it. To, again, get the number one pick next year, hopefully get them a franchise quarterback, and then they can go down the road and rebuild that way. I think the quarterback they drafted in the in the draft in Mond, I think he, he's gonna he's gonna start um, sure. maybe week five, week six throughout the rest of the year. I think Tyrod's gonna start at the beginning of the year, but I think when this quarterback from Stanford that they drafted catches on, I, I think he's gonna be the starter. And I think they're gonna see what they have in him. I think that's that's gonna be what happens. And poor Tyrod, he can't catch a break. Goes to Houston <laughs> and and he's going to, uh, he's going to might only see three, four, five games and then see what they have in the court and the, the rookie and which, which is what they should do, which right. is absolutely what they should do. So, so and Jim said, they just signed yeah, And Jim said, they signed every warm body they possibly could, <laughs> you know, from Mark Ingram to secondary help to defensive help on one or two year contracts. And I, I agree with them. They should just tank this year. Get get the number one, two, or three draft pick next year, and go from there. Chad, what are your thoughts? Are, are you calling the GM over there, Houston? Getting get, get into that trade camp? Yeah, man, they're. Uh, I think you hit on the head, Tyrod Taylor. I mean, the only way Kellen Mond doesn't get a chance is if they're like five and zero or six and zero to start the year, which I think we all don't think that's going to happen. So, okay. Kellen Mond getting. Get- get his opportunity for I, I definitely agree with that um see what they have in him and yeah I mean it's gonna be a pretty rough year down there I mean if uh, it doesn't start off good yeah I think they gotta just they're just gonna tank it I mean that would be the best thing to do mm-hmm. we'll give it five or six games right right I would think I would think so and I, w- I would think they signed Philip Lindsay to be be their uh eventually to be the starting running back I I don't know how much confidence they have in David Johnson to to carry the carry the ball or yeah. carry the load on 
I, I hit my limit over here on Podbean. So I'm going to exit out of Podbean and start the live stream again. So we'll only be off Podbean a couple of minutes, Jim. But you can jump in the regular stream or you can jump on, on uh, Podbean again in about three minutes. Got you. But how bad a luck do you have to be, Tyron Taylor, right? When the doctor doesn't know what he's doing, he punches your heart, almost kills you, trying to give you and a then you, And shot. then you go to dying with Houston, and, and you think you're going to get the whole year, and then they draft a quarterback in the fourth, fifth round, and now all of a sudden you're not going to get the whole year. And then he, Buffalo, same thing. Same thing in <laughs> Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah, so, I mean, the, guy, I mean, the guy's not going to trust anybody that he signs with from now on. So Right. I mean, it's just like Andy Dalton in Chicago. They say he's going to start. He's going to start two or three games, and then he's going to get pulled for Fields. I mean, oh. possible. Well, I don't know. I don't know about Fields. I think Fields is enough of a head case. Yeah, I agree. He could be the bust, the bust quarterback that they they in the yeah. first round they look at. I mean, chances are only one or two quarterbacks that went in the first round are going to pan out. Right. Yeah. And how many how many quarterbacks went first round this year? Five. Five. That's uh, that's pretty standard. Yep. Your brother's coming in next year, right? Uh, I mean, depending on the season he has this year, but I mean, yeah, I'd say if not this year, then one more year, in the next two years. Yeah, we'll try. Try to angle in, get the invite of that one. You have to get in shape, man. I don't get like, who's that fat ball guy? <laughs> How does he fit in? <laughs> All right. So, next, uh, so Houston had Mills, Nico Collins, Michigan, Belvin Jordan, Miami, tight end, and uh, linebacker from LSU, from TCU, trying to get TCU alumni to those games. Uh, I'll go the rest of the fifth round all the way to the guy on the on the clock. And you guys tell me what you think. Uh, Delon Hayes, edge, Notre Dame, six foot three, 270 pounds. Uh, DeMorne, Lenore, you figure John Lynch knows something about defense. Oregon, cornerback Oregon, your, your brother, probably threw a pass over this guy for a touchdown. Uh, Terrell Slayton, defensive lineman. Florida, again, a guy who got pancaked even though he's 6'5", 340 pounds. So he was in there on running downs and got blocked in the running back one for a touchdown on this guy. That Florida defense, they didn't stop anybody. Uh, it, the old story about the little kids, you know, hey, little kid, your parents are getting divorced. Do you want to live with your mother or do you want to live with your father? And the kids would say, no, I want to live – with a Florida Gator defense, because I can do what I want, because they can't stop anybody. <laughs> that was the Florida Gator defense. <laughs> They're drafting these guys, I think, just off the name over there in Green Bay. Ernest Brown, the fourth. I'll see him over there in Irvine. I can run over there to the Rams training camp, defensive line, Northwestern, six foot five, 270 pounds. Mankowitz, those guys playing that zone. Jason Pinock, quarterback. Six foot, 200 pounds from going to New York Jets. K.J. Britt, linebacker, Auburn. Auburn had a really good defense. That's different. But as bad as the Gator defense was, it's as good as the Auburn defense was. K.J. Britt, linebacker, six foot, 
243 pounds, can run like the wind. Cameron Magoin, linebacker, again. Now, this is, you want to talk about the Harbar brothers and Bill Belichick, <laughs> six degrees, <laughs> just combining into one. Uh, oh, Cameron yeah. Magoin, linebacker, Michigan. I, I just noticed that. <laughs> I just noticed that. This guy has good technique. I know that. And then uh, Shamar Jean Charles from cornerback from Appalachian State, man. That guy can play. And then Shimi Fioko, wide receiver, Stanford. What are you guys' thoughts on all those picks? Um, deep. I mean, it's it's all defense except that one, one pick from Stanford, which is a wide receiver to Dallas. But, I mean, this is what teams are doing now is they're, they're loading up on their defense. Right. See if they can find they can find a a upside pick that can help them out and give them, right. give them some uh, production in game. So, I mean, that's what you've been looking at five rounds five and six basically. I think we're right. in the six, right? Yeah. So that's what that's what coaches are doing now is their uh, defense and a lot of big schools too. Not not the small schools that we saw in the, the second and third round. Right. We've seen USC, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Oregon, uh, Michigan, Northwestern. So you're seeing a lot of the big schools now that are going instead of those smaller schools. Yeah, 100%. And then people they know, the Harbaugh's and the Bill Belichick, Nick Satan. <laughs> uh, six degrees out. They all know each other, man. And they all teach basically the same way. Uh, and between them have, let's say, right now, let's say Nick Satan, Kirby Smart, John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, you're looking at $50 million in salaries just for this year. And their ecosystem has to be, I would say, close to a billion dollars with a B, right? The ecosystem of Satan, Belichick, Harbaugh family. And Urban Meyer, remember, Urban Meyer is making $10 million a year and there's no state income tax in the state of Florida. Right. Mm-hmm. So making 10 million in Florida is like making 30 million in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah, Massachusetts. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Jim? You know, I just I had a thought and I was listening so well, I kind of got thrown off by expanding to move forward. Oh, yeah, no, that's why we need to get a Allison keeps texting. She will be on here. We need Allison. We need a woman on the podcast because men do not listen, right? Men are bad at listening. Me included. <laughs> you know, you're talking about the money and um, the salary cap, and it is so important that listeners understand that we know the cap is very small this year, and next year it may go up a little, but it's not going to take the huge jump until the 2023 season or possibly 2024, more likely 2023. And so smart franchises, we talk about teams that are in, you know, cap hell, so to speak. Well, teams have shown that no matter how bad your cap situation, you can figure it out. Right. Now, the Saints, the Saints are a perfect example of it. 
And to a degree, Dallas, the Saints have been more successful, but both teams have not utilized the cap well, but they've also employed strategies to kick the can down the road, and then just things eventually work out. Now, Dallas has been hit harder because they've had to take some player losses, whereas the Saints have found the smart way to keep the absolute players they need, and then they find a way to shed the players they don't. And they've done well enough in the draft to replenish those losses. No, 100%. And then looking at it as a money manager, where I manage people's life savings, uh, and, right, uh, I'm a fiduciary, right? And, and fiduciary means that if I give people bad advice, they can kick the door down here, put me in cuffs, because I'm, I don't run a hedge fund like Jeffrey Epstein did, right? So since I'm a guy who's middle class, you have to deal with the rules of FINRA and the SEC. You look at Kraft. And when I read this morning that he spent $175 million in upfront money, that means that his money managers are telling him that inflation's going up, right? Because COVID-19, people working from home, and a lot of things that we don't even know about that are going to affect the economy, Right. So inflation is going up. You talk about the New Orleans Saints, uh, one of the most beautiful widows of all time, right? Uh, Miss Benson. <laughs> yes, yes. He, he's in his nineties. She got her in her mid twenties. She owns the whole team. He said, "F you, all my kids, all my grandkids. My mistress is going to own the whole team." You know, cold house. The cat. You know, he didn't give me any tip, and he gives his wife ten million. His mistress is twenty million. Benson beat the cake on this one. He gave her the whole team. She runs the whole team. It's a cheap team. They're, they lucked out that uh, Peyton's married to the game of football like Parcells, and he can manage because he's the he's the cap guy too. He's everything there. He's the head of scouting. He's the cap guy. He's everything. Sean Payne. And now, go ahead, Josh. Can I ask? I know we're doing a football podcast, but very quickly, um, a financial question. Sure. So our government is printed off trillions of dollars seven trillion to get us out of covid right. what long-term impact does that have on our society well number one right and i've been telling scott this the whole podcast and for the last 25 years as a business concierge and i don't say business consultants because business consultants have absolutely no idea what they're talking about about 95 percent of them so it's a business concierge Every single client the last 25 years, I said, charge triple. And they have to make all this money. Josh, you're a genius. Da, da, da. And it's the reason is, and I had a great podcast. I, I, I encourage everyone to listen to that podcast and then read the transcript with Graham Honecker, the gifts department from Butler University. Their endowment is $1.9 billion. We have been lied to by everybody about how much money there is. When you look at collective bargaining agreements and fights between the players, right? Especially in the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Gene Upshaw and DeMarie Smith, who's his assistant as a guy I went to high school, Tom Carter, they get paid a premium to lie to the players about how much money there is out there. So when you say $7 trillion, right? In stimulus, we have a $26 trillion real estate market, right? We have mm -hmm. a $14 trillion 
stock market. So there's an infinite amount of money. So when coaches talk about execution, right? It's going to go down to execution. How is that stimulus, right? Going to be executed. And that's what's going to determine, right? On a macro level, uh, the effect negative or positive. And what I mean about execution is they're giving people free junior college. How many of those kids are going to come out and be productive and produce for the economy? So that's execution on a macro level. On a micro Jim Josh Scott level, right? Mm-hmm. We now know that there's an infinite amount of money out there for us now. <laughs> yeah. So that's why we're pumping this podcast because first to market, biggest market share. So now with 43 states, Florida coming in on May 17th, bringing in sports betting, we're the number one podcast on sports betting podcast on Podby. Uh, keep driving this and we can charge a lot of money for what we're doing because we're stimulating the economy and there's an infinite amount of money out there for fantasy. Uh, DraftKings just dropped a $20 million check to the Denver Broncos. It's going to give them another $20 million. The start of the year, probably more, right? So yes. on a micro level, Josh, Scott, Chad, and Jim, we go talk to all our clients and say, hey, guys, we love you. Now I'm charging you three times as much. <laughs> I definitely know the casino that they built about a year ago in Massachusetts has brought in an inordinate, uh, a ton of money to the economy of Massachusetts. So if they ever put sp- a sports betting, oh, if yeah. they ever legalize it in Massachusetts, it would bring in millions and millions and possibly close to billions of dollars for the economy of Massachusetts. And that's money they would never, ever get other than, other than the casino and the sports book. So like I told him last night, Massachusetts is going to be the last one that legalizes gambling. I know, I know that's going to happen, but. People can travel, right? Like Cuomo said, you can go, you know, people have been going to, you know, Fox Hills for years. And now Fox Hills has sports betting. You can go to New York, New Jersey, the tri-state area. When I lived in Massachusetts, I always heard those commercials, the tri-state area. Connecticut has sports betting, obviously, yeah. with Fox Hills. So, New Hampshire now has a sports book up there, too. Right, so. right. And mobile. And uh, New York is coming online, mobile. Uh, the, the handle in New Jersey was $2 billion during a pandemic. Where wow. people couldn't even go to the casino. Uh, Vegas, the same way. Right? So When people weren't going there. Right. So the effect on society, I think, really should be that knowing that there's an infinite amount of money out there. Infinite. When I say infinite, it's infinite. And then these owners, each team is different, right? Jerry Jones does whatever he wants. He's a multi-billionaire in real estate. He's a multi-billionaire in oil. So he doesn't care about the salary cap. Kraft, he doesn't care, but he has people underneath him who do, and they're very, very, they invented finance in the Northeast. So he has very, very good finance people. Uh, you know, there is going to be inflation. That's why I say since 2009, my wife Anna has only bought gasoline through sports betting dollars. Because with sports betting, the knowledge just from my head and then predicting an outcome of a game pays for the high prices of gasoline, right? So that's the way to kind of create in, uh, inflation. That's what our politicians should be doing. 
earmarking, right? So we're earmarking sports betting money to gasoline. And then Hawthorne effect, track everything. It, it, to be honest, I really learned tracking in my restaurant when Malcolm Glazer came in. He was buying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I did not know who this guy is, but I knew he had money and I knew he was some sort of business guy because those guys, when they came in the restaurant, they didn't say, oh, hey, hi, nice to meet you. Josh, what's your name? Josh, oh, nice to meet you. How are you doing today? Oh, I really like your places. No, he started giving me business advice. He's like, hey, come here. <laughs> Crack every spoon and every fork. And, you know, the employee is, what, what is this guy? What is he talking to? I'm like, this must be a really rich dude. And that's why God gave you one mouth and two ears, man. Listen to what this guy say and take notes. And he's like, track every And he was the uh, franchise owner for Callahan's restaurant in a slum owner in Buffalo. And he bought the team from the uh, estate of my guy, Hugh Culverhouse, the guy who didn't give me a tip when I was caddying. And those are the Glazers, right? The owners of your Tampa Bay Buccaneers track everything. So on a micro level, you really have to track every single thing. And then the other part of it is this tax mitigation. Uh, you got to be able, like, and that's the next thing. And now when the draft dies down, uh, I'm going to look at the podcast I did about this last year and I'll bring it up. Uh, how the tax, how your sports betting dollars are going to be taxed differently in every state and how do you mitigate that? And I encourage everybody to do what DraftKings did, right? They got ahead of regulating sports betting by dropping $20 million to the Denver Broncos, right? That's a message to your legislature. There's a lot of money out here. And if you treat me nice, DraftKings will put, because of Citizens United, a million dollars, right? On 20th, what we gave the Denver Broncos, we'll give you to your campaign so you can keep your nice, cushy life. Uh, but contact your local legislatures and say, hey, take my betting losses off of my tax life. The way they do it in Vegas. Vegas' economy is doing fine. That's why they dropped a billion dollars with a B and gave it to the Al Davis family for that stadium, what Scott was talking about, commercial real estate. Right. And then we to recap yesterday's podcast for the finance lesson is that how does McDonald's make money? Right. I always ask that to clients. How does McDonald's make money? They're like, oh, I don't know. I don't. How does uh, Verizon Wireless make money? Well, I'm like, tell me. No, Verizon Wireless sells phones. Uh, McDonald's sells burgers. Right. Wrong. McDonald's makes all their money the same way Walmart does. Sam Cronky and the Rams through commercial real estate. So there's only four ways to make money, money through labor, real estate, capital, and inheritance. And uh, my grandparents are in Cuba. My parents came to the United States. So I don't have an inheritance. So I have to go real estate. I have to go uh, investment from or capital, right? And labor. So part of our labor for us three guys is fantasy and sports betting. <laughs> That's our income from labor. That's why sports betting is so important for us, the highest and best use of our time, since we are sports fans, right? So, but that's a 
podcast for another day. But we use business and financial concepts because that's where they're they're using it. And you, man, you made me a lot of money, Jim, with your analysis of Houston tanking the year. Ah, uh, yes, that's good. That that's, that that's the nugget we might have needed. Oh yeah, no, we got a lot of nuggets. We, really, uh, between Scott last night, we should get every single Patriot games right, the total and the sum. Now, Houston, you make more money getting against teams than four teams. We hope. Can you make, I know there's limits on them, how much you can bet on preseason. You can add, once the schedule is um, brought up on May 12th, yeah. you can bet these games like before you know the season. And again, limits, I'm not sure they are. I think they're somewhat um, you know, limited, but you could go on those Houston games because the lines are not going to be nearly big enough at this point. <laughs> good point. Very good point. Just like you said last night, Josh, get bet them on a Monday or a Tuesday, these games, because the, you know, the lines are going to grow as the week goes on. You know, Houston might be playing, say, Jacksonville. And the line might be like five at the beginning of the week, and it might grow to like 11 by the end of the week. So, you know, the earlier you jump on these lines, the, the better off you're going to be as a better, obviously. Right. Yeah, no, 100%. Like 100%. Over under wow. wins is the same way. Yeah, the, the like Houston's probably going to be four over under wins. I would take the under for sure. I, I can't see him winning four games next year. No, there's a lot of insight. There's yeah. a lot of insight in the transcript of this whole draft. It's going to be gold. Uh, and we can talk about it. We can talk about it. We'll have an offline conversation on the transcript. But uh, I'm going to go the next three picks, and I'm going to have some insight what you guys just talked about the lines and then after i do the the other five picks uh we'll get some insight and chat i want your your uh input in this on draft grades and how draft grades work and what we talk about when there's a run on a certain position so the next picks were uh simi finko wide receiver stanford guy that san francisco Tailaga Hufunga, safety. I like this guy a lot. 6'1", 215 pounds, USC. Cornell Powell, wide receiver, Clemson, Clemson Tigers. And then Abakundo Ojendi, edge rusher again from Notre Dame because the Super Bowl. Glad you're saying these names. I'm glad you're saying these names, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Avery Williams of Boise State. What do you guys think? Any, anything on these guys? You know, as the draft goes on, here's the thing that I always capitalize and I, I look at. We're going to have to look at entirety of rosters. Right now, the bust rate of the players selected at this point is probably in the 85-plus percent range. So we can find individual traits on some players that look good, but the negatives translating to the NFL significantly outweigh the positives. Most of these players drafted now will come in as backups and may have an opportunity with injury to come in. But as of right now, the odds of these players making an impact, except for this position of need, is right now the limit. So this one we'll look at in a little bit. But none of the players that were named in this most recent year that you just gave me, none of them come off as players that I think are going to be those that are outliers. Yeah, I agree. I don't. That's. I don't have much input here. I don't. I mean, I don't have any m- much on these guys. Um, one thing I know. It, 
any Justin Jefferson was my brother's uh, running back. Um, not Justin Jefferson. Um, golly, I'm totally totally spacing out. Um, Jermar Jefferson. That's that's. Um, I don't, is he is what what are our what are our next running backs on the board? That's the one I have targeted. Um, definitely, Chad. That's uh, Jamar Jefferson is still sitting out there, and I was a little bit surprised. He fell. The biggest one in my eyes. So here's the big one. I love Elijah Mitchell, and and I know that a lot of draft Twitter wasn't in on him. 5'10", 201, has great contact balance. He runs with optimal pad level, great vision. His elusiveness in college wasn't great, but he tested out 79th percentile agility in the two agility drills at the pro day. His game speed didn't look great, but yet he tested, um, again, I, and I know, um, Chad, you understand how the timing can be different, but his speed score come in at the 86th percentile. He's not a great pass protection, but I thought Elijah Mitchell's a guy who, based on his measurables, he looks like a guy who could come in, and with his vision, he could be a difference maker. So you're right on Jefferson and Mitchell. I'd like to see those two end up in a good spot. Yeah. It's interesting, too, to see, because what, what are we at now in the round? Are we, we're into the fifth round, or are we on to the sixth? Mid, almost mid-sixth. Almost mid-sixth. Mid okay, yeah. And that's one thing, too. I mean, talking with Justin Jefferson, he or I mean, just – Watching this season play out, right? He had a super hot, you know, beginning of the year, big long runs, showed that home run speed. Um, but then, you know, the end of the year, you know, the last three or four games, um, you know, with my brother, he just, he, I, I noticed he wasn't finishing runs, you know, he was just trying to be a shifty big back and, you know, he had some good speed. But I mean, that, what that's blaring to me at the next level, you have to finish runs or these, these defenders will punish you. Um, so, I mean, his lack of willingness, I think, the last three or four games to finish runs, he was kind of fighting through injuries and all that, too. Um, so, there's that aspect, you know, sometimes maybe you're less likely, you know, wanting to finish runs when stuff's hurting and bothering you. But that, I think those last few games really brought down his draft stock. And a guy, he had another year. He wasn't a guy that had to come out, you know. And he's a guy that I think could come out and have a great – he could have had a great year this year and be a top, you know, in the top three rounds going into next year. Um, so, it's, it's interesting dynamic. You know, we see guys leave early. We, we, we see guys maybe leave earlier than they should have, um, you know, that, that, that decision, you know, so that, that it's a tough decision for guys to make and stuff like that. So it's interesting to see him slip that far. And, you know, he, he's a guy that really could have, you know, helped Oregon state a lot this, this next season, you know, be a Pac-12 contender, which to I that think point, is my, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. And, and my question, and, you know, I said this to Jim earlier, either today or earlier in the week is what happened to Atlanta and Miami drafting a running back? Neither one did. So, so now I got a lot of shares of Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin on my team. So now I'm feeling pretty good because they don't have any competition for, for, for snaps. If they stay healthy all year, they, they could be in line to have a pretty good solid year. So, you know, and that's the thing we all know they, they were looking at running backs you know, they didn't draft any. And and that's that's what, what boggles my mind is why didn't they draft a running back? Why didn't they get uh, Javante Williams in the second round or, a, you know, in the third round or a Michael Carter or, or, or a Chubba, somebody like that? And they didn't yeah. get and they didn't draft him. So so that's what that's what gets me is that they didn't draft what they needed. Yeah. And, and two things, right? 
uh, that I'll ask you guys about, right? That's always fascinating to me. For me, this is actually my favorite part because you have guys who, as undrafted free agent, doesn't want to go to a Houston or doesn't want to go to a Cincinnati. So you'd rather at this point not be drafted and have teams bid up because an undrafted free agent who gets bid up um, might make more money than a guy actually drafted. It might go to better, you know, you'd rather go to New England than Cincinnati. You'd rather go to Seattle than Houston, right? What do you guys think about that? And then I'm on Sam Brown. Uh, I think this is one of the biggest tragedies in uh, basketball and football where you get a, a Christian Dawkins, you get these drug dealer hustlers. This guy's a successful drug dealer. And now he thinks he's a sport agent and he talks some guy into going into the NBA or the NFL when they're not ready. And then they lose millions of dollars. That's what happened on Monson Brown. Monson Brown could have stayed at USC, right? Lori Laughlin, the girl from Desperate Housewives, paying $500,000 upfront free underground to get their kid into USC. And this guy wants to leave USC early. For what? To get picked in the fourth round and look like a fool because you just lost $20 million in a scarcity where people are getting stimuluses, right? So what do you guys think about that? Those two questions. I think it's all about with undrafted, it's all about opportunity. I mean, James Robinson, perfect example last year, signs with Jacksonville, goes from third, third or fourth on the depth chart, whatever he did at the beginning of training camp to a, to a starter and a, and a stud. So some, some of them are going to look at opportunity and where they think they can, they can get the opportunity. But yeah, if I had a choice between New England and Cincinnati and had the same level of opportunity, I'd pick New England in a minute. Right. Pick New England in a minute. So that, that's what I think. It's all about opportunity with these undrafted guys and where they sign. What do you think, Chad? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, man, I think, I think there's two sides to it. You know, like definitely as an undrafted guy, you want to go to the better franchise. I've had buddies that went to, you know, teams that aren't as good, you know, bad front offices. They bounced around the league. You know, they're on different practice squads every year. Um, right. Within, you know, like last year, two guys, um, I believe were both undrafted free agents like Miles Bryant out of Washington for the, to the Patriots got a, played some corner this year, got himself a pick, um, you know, and, and uh, a guy like that, you know, he's going to stick around New England for a long time. Um, and then um, the other one, another one uh, running back out of Arizona, uh, free agent undrafted went, I can't, um, but him, him also, they both went to, right. uh, to New England, and it, you know that worked out good for him. I do, I do think though, when you are drafted, even fifth, sixth, seventh round, I think maybe like that team's interest in you being a fit for them might be a little higher. Um, a guy like Desmond Patman went sixth round. You know, Pittman, Michael Pittman Jr. was a second round pick. Desmond was a sixth round pick. You know, Des being that late round pick, he got in. You made the fifty three man. Um, you know, and he he's a guy. I think you know that fit what they were looking for in their mold even being in that six round spot and um you know it's, it's a good fit for him there in indianapolis being that he's he's you know their guy they drafted him he's what they were looking for what they want and he panned out so i think yeah i mean it, it um it can work out multiple ways but yeah definitely uh it, get, getting in with the good organizations like that like the new england the seattle um as an undrafted free agent is definitely going to add 
not only just longevity career, but sticking in the same spot. You know, I think sticking in the same spot, it, it helps you grow and is important and bouncing around from team to team. Um, but then getting drafted in that late fifth, sixth, seventh round, you know, knowing that, that that team went on that limb, they drafted you, you know, they kind of, they wanted you, um, you fit somewhere right. that they see. I think, you know, that can give you confidence. And, and then, then you do make that first year, you make that 53 man, you're working towards, you know, what they see you're panning out. I think, that can give you some motivation and some security and, you know, lead to, to good success there. So both sides. No, it's complicated, right? It's not, not something simple. Not straightforward, you know, that's why these guys need guidance. So the, the guys that, you know, had the single mom on crack and no dad and no guidance, man, it's a tough spot because JJ Taylor, that's the running back. That's what I, I couldn't remember his name. JJ Taylor. Yeah, that, yes. He, he Miles, was good. He's always was good. Yeah, Miles Bryant and JJ Taylor both. Uh, I they trained with us. Less some of my speed coach, so they were out in the lat in last season's combine group. Right, those two guys. Yeah, you know, I, I like JJ Taylor. I remember watching him play. Uh, great talent in Arizona. I forget the the names coach. I'll I'll find it. Uh, who recruited him? He was a guy that went from West Virginia to Michigan, and in West Virginia he had those that exactly the J.J. Taylor body types. And he goes to Michigan, and then he goes to Arizona. Then he became the defensive coordinator from Mississippi. I know he's around somewhere. And, you know, he messed up. He had a $5 million a year job with Arizona and got fired for sleeping with the secretary. But he's not the first guy to get fired from a job sleeping with the secretary for getting in trouble. Your Arizona head coach. And remember, uh, Jed Finch, we love, right? He validates the existence. Not you, Chad, because you can play. But for Scott, Jim, and I, Jed Finch, the head coach of Arizona, validates our existence. He's a head coach of a Power Six school, making $4 million a year, and he was a tennis player in college. Never, he's never played a down of football. That's, that's <laughs> I mean, a lot of the best coaches, though, weren't great players. Like, I don't think Bella's right. a very good player. Yeah, Rich Rodriguez is his name. Uh, the coach before, uh, before the uh, Sumlin, right? And nobody's really known. Did you have some inside chat on uh, Kevin Sumlin? Why so many guys in the last year? At Texas A&M transferred out of there, and so many guys transferred out of Arizona in droves that depleted his roster. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have any insight to that. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, your your guy Taylor probably know. I mean, what what? Uh, yeah, I mean, what Arizona State did to Arizona last year was, I mean, pretty embarrassing. Yeah, he had no players. All like the whole team just transferred out of there. There has to be something, maybe something went loose. Maybe he has some mental health issues nobody even knew about in his last years at Texas A&M. Because when you have 50% of the roster just taking off and the other one in the transfer portal, you know, there's something going on that the, they're not reporting on, right? The college football writers are not reporting on that. All right, let's catch up with the picks here. Uh, what I have on my phone is 
Let me see here. Uh, Talona to Hafunga, I think he can play. He'll make a roster at uh, Pac-10 guy at for the 49ers. He really is one of those hearts. Uh, he has a knack for the ball, and he has a knack for slipping a block and making a play in the backfield. So I think he's going to be doing a good job as a – and he makes sense, right? He's really John Lynch. He's a John Lynch clone from the Pac-12. So I think he's playing for John Lynch, so he'll be fine. Uh, let me know if any of this uh, sticks with you guys, and we'll be caught up. Ben Mason running back Michigan. Ah, the Harbaugh brothers. They love each other. They know each other. And now they're giving themselves – the guy goes to Michigan and then pipeline to the Ravens. So he can recruit. Hey, man, worst-case scenario, you'll get picked in the in late in the sixth round and play for my brother in Baltimore. Nick Newman, linebacker, Iowa, uh, in the six degrees of Nick Satan, Bill Belichick, with Kurt Lafrenz at Iowa. Going to your Chargers. I'll see him in Costa Mesa. Hamasa. Now our dean, right? To Middle Eastern guy from Florida State. Go to go play for a Middle Eastern coach, Coach Slay. I love Coach Slay. He has that ball-headed, in-shape attitude, high attitude. Frank Darby, wide receiver, Arizona State. I got to check this guy. Uh, I worked out with him in the gym here in uh, Lake Forest. I think he went to Saddleback. Didn't your brother also go to Saddleback? Yeah, he did go to Saddleback. Yeah. Uh, Josea Bledsoe. Uh, safety Missouri must be a special teams guy. We know how Belichick loves special teams. Uh, Marlon Taupupu, defensive line, USC, 6'3", 305, run stopper. Uh, the Oregon offensive lineman pancaked him to death. It was a Waffle House type of situation against Oregon in your Pac-12 championship game. And that's what he won because Marlon was a non-factor. Going to your Philadelphia Eagles, Trey Hill, offensive lineman, Georgia, Tyron Jackson, edge, Coastal Carolina. This guy will make the team. Uh, Coastal Carolina covered for me the whole year last year because they were kind of the Coastal Carolina. Quentin Bohanna, defensive lineman, the Stoops family over there in Kentucky. Delonte Brown, offensive lineman, the six degrees of Bill Belichick and Nick Satan. Uh, six four, 350 pounds, man. Gotta lose that weight. He's gonna have a heart attack. 350 pounds. Exactly. Eating nothing but beef and bacon in Alabama. <laughs> Elijah Mitchell running back, Louisiana. Louisiana had the best offensive line in history the last two years. Covered for me 20 times in two years. Louisiana, Vegas did not catch up to them. And then Houston pick is in at 195. Uh, what round is this? The sixth round. Yep. So what do you guys think? Uh, same same thing as before. A lot of Common a lot thing. of dot throws, yeah, I think. I mean, you see a lot of defense, a lot of linemen, a couple of wide receivers. I think it's just a just a dot throw right now for these right. teams. Trying trying to get somebody in that will can give them some sort of production in in games down the stretch of the year. So I think it's just a dot throw. Right. So, Chad, do you have any insight on how teams grade prospects? Um, 
I mean, I don't know necessarily how teams grade prospects. I guess I could say like how I, I mean, how I would grade prospects. So how I mean, would you grade prospects? I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I think movement is like movement skills are like the most important, right? Like, um, weight room stuff necessarily doesn't always translate to that, like a guy being strong on the field. Right. But I just, think, I mean, film obviously is huge. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I mean, you can always you can always make a guy like faster straight line and jump higher. Like I can make you a better athlete, but just that overall, like, um, like high movement skills, right? Like, uh, you, we can make you a little stronger, a little faster, jump a little higher, stuff like that. But we necessarily can't like, if you're having huge mobility issues and you just don't flip your hips and you don't, you don't move well. Um, you don't just get in and out of break and transitions like movement skills, I think are, are a huge, like, compared to like straight line speed or necessarily weight room strength just overall how that like just cl- uh, clean cuts and plants and changes direction you know the, the um those movement skills this overall are, are super important and the, the rest you can develop over some time you know w- with an athlete yeah that's very interesting to me because uh Irvin Meyer right when I was listening to him talk about wanting and this is the other thing because you're a multi multi-sports guy Mm-hmm. And Irvin Meyer only recruits offensive linemen who also played basketball because he said that he wants them to flip the hips and he wants them to be flexible at the knees and then be flexible in their upper body. Mm-hmm. And man, he got what, two, three guys off his offensive line picked in the first couple rounds? Yeah. And basketball you know, is a perfect example of like the movement skills you're looking for because basketball, right? Is- jumping off my right leg, jumping off my left leg, my coordination with my left hand, my right hand, you know, dribbling, shooting, um, you know, it's very similar. I mean, you know, a pass rush, a DN pass rush on the O-lineman, um, you know, is very similar to bat, is basketball related. And like an offensive tackle sliding to block the guy is very similar to a center guarding a guard off pick and roll, um, sliding his feet, not, you know, and, and ha- you know, having to deal with that that quick move. So, yeah, I mean, bat, even at receiver, like release re- – when I'm when you're doing releases or set guys up, you're crossing them over just like you would with a basketball. You're just doing it without the ball. So, I mean, from lineman to receiver, I mean, yeah, I mean, that type of movement skills I'm talking about basketball exemplifies right. those very well. But, hey, hey guys, I got yeah. I to I hop off. I uh, got somewhere I need to be at at 145, so – all right, thank you, Chad, for uh, dropping in, man. Giving yeah, us a was, break here. It was a pleasure, but uh, yeah, you, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see you guys later. Yeah, right on. Right, have, have a good one. You too. Yeah, yeah. And Scott, so I won't forget because I have AD, but make sure I get uh, your contact information. I'm following you on Twitter as well. Sure thing. Sure thing. Yeah, so it's fascinating what Chad was talking about. Uh, Absolutely. The, the movement skills, because every single team, people don't understand that, that every single team has their own best practices. Like I said yesterday, I have a friend of mine who works for an NFL team in the front office, and his mind is just blown that he's worked for five different teams and from A to Z, from the way he gets paid by direct deposit or check, uh, the coaching philosophy of the team. The scouting for life, they've all been 100% different. It's been 100% learning curve. 
Right. It blows his mind that there isn't best practice. And I think that's why it breeds the, you know, the six degree, we laugh about it, the, the six degrees of Belichick and Satan, right? Because there isn't best right. practices. So they're trying to find some commonality in that. So uh, picking process, it looks like science, but these guys are good at it. And I wanted to explain, and let me know your thoughts. You got to turn it, get it up here. Um, I'll try to pencil it in a little bit more. But what I'm trying to say is, let's see here, so maybe a little bit better. Let me know if you can see it, Scott. No? Yeah, I can see it. All right. I can see it. All right. So, and try to make it as simple as possible. So, you grade a guy at 20. So, one commonality there is, right? And I'll see if I can find it real quick. Orlando accidentally took a picture of their track board one year. But it was funny because it's all numerized and it's really off finance technical analysis. You get the scouting team with numbers, guys, bean counters, and they put a number to each guy. So a guy grades a 20, right? Let's say he's the highest. The next yep. guy, let's say they do, they do this for recruiting too, right? Top right. 10 running backs, top 10 offense, whatever, left tackle. So one guy's 20, one guy's 21, one guy's 22. Number four is 100. So number 20 goes off the board. Team goes, oh, I got to go 21. And then team, maybe 20 is maybe a, a fifth round guy. Uh, 21 gets picked in the third round because the guy after him is on. So what do you think about that? Because it's like uh, Chad is saying, there's two sides to it, man. Right? Uh, one side says, screw the 21 guy. Just don't pick whatever at all pick a guy off the street or take the hundred, make your own project, put him on the practice guy, get him as an undrafted free agent, or do you go and you pick that guy? Well, the, the way that I would do it is so teams in the, in the draft, this is what I'm thinking. Teams in the draft saw, so take the running back position, for example, Najee Harris comes off. He's the best one. So Jacksonville's saying right after him, I, I got to get a running back. I need right. a running back. Urban Meyer saying, I need a running back. So they take ETN. Right. And then there's a bunch of other teams that are looking and saying, all right, we need running back. And this is when old guys get overdrafted because all of a sudden coaches and, and GMs are saying, I need that. I need that running back. We have to have a running back. So I got to take the next guy to the next pick if he's there. So right. what I would do is say, okay, the, the scouts have put, Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight, all the positions. Right. And they put a grade on each one and they've 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 gone down the board. I take the I take the best player available is what I would do if I'm a GM. I wouldn't I wouldn't reach for a running back. Right. I would wait on a running back and if a wide receiver is graded higher, I would take him. If a cornerback is great. So that's how these guys get over overdrafted, is coaches and GMs start reaching for guys. Well, I right. got to have a running back, so I got to take him. I got to have a wide receiver, so I got to take from that position. Instead, you got the you got the stud cornerback sitting there that you kind of need him, but you really don't. He's the position of need, and you don't take him. You take the running back. And right. you just start overreaching, and then the cornerback goes, and you're like, damn, I thought he was going to stick. So the, the runner of the, the, the board – you know, taking best player available for some teams is fine, but don't have an overreach on a guy. Don't have an overreach on a player. 
I mean, it, it's the same way in, in the field that I'm in with football is fantasy is, is guys right. get down in the draft, they get to the ninth, 10th round, and they say, I only have two running backs, so I need the running back. But there's a stud wide receiver sitting there waiting right. to be drafted. Right. And you pass on him because you need the running back. And that's the wrong way to go about it. And NFL teams like, like a Cincinnati, like in Arizona, they overreach on players so ridiculous every year that it costs them that they don't get the position they need. So, And it's great for spotting that because then you bet against them from my point of view. So, so all, I'm looking at all of, all of this as picks and yep. you make so much money on the draft and analyzing the draft. That's why we're here. Yep. And, and that becomes clear. And businessmen think businessmen and women think long-term salesmen think short-term. So you hit the nail on the head. Reaching is a short-term approach that never works. My mom used to say, exactly. greatest bus- businesswoman of all time, my mother. She used to say, never make a decision, ever. Never make a decision out of desperation. Relax. Exactly. exactly. You know? There's always another meal. There's always something coming down the pike. You know, don't, don't reach. And I'm with you. Pick the best guy available, right? And I, these grades are so subjective. You yeah. know what I mean? You look at Larry Bird. Who knows if Larry Bird even gets drafted or even gets recruited, right? Because Larry Bird right. wasn't the greatest athlete, but he ends up in the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? As he as he said, he wasn't the the highest jumper. He right. wasn't the fastest guy. He wasn't the he wasn't the best athlete. No, but he had every he had a, he had the brain to play the game, and he had a little bit of everything, and yeah, he had he, the will and desire to be be really good. And, and that, the general manager there, Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge was a better basketball player than Larry Bird. Danny yep. Ainge could shoot just as good as he could at, at being shorter. Danny Ainge could dunk back in the day. If people remember him, you're his old time. So you remember Danny Ainge at BYU where he was like yep. the only guy on BYU and they barely lost to UCLA. I think it was in the final four. Yep. You know, Danny Ainge could play and but the star of the team, the guy in the hall of fame as a basketball player is Larry Bird. And right. people in scouting need to look at that. And I think Tafunga. I'll give uh, uh, Danny uh, – uh, he reminds me of Danny Ainge because he's a player who's now GM. Lynch, John Lynch sees that in Tafunga. Yep. Believe me, Tafunga is going to make some plays for the 49ers. Either, I don't care if it's special teams, whatever, because the thing about Tafunga is that uh, even though he was a star in the field, he was also a flag waver. He, I'm surprised Carol didn't take because he just has that natural – high motor energy uh when the special teams comes off the field he's the first one on the field high-fiving everybody he's hugging yep. the kicker <laughs> that's the funga your safety so i you know he should have gotten picked higher i'm surprised he didn't get picked uh but Tafunga is is what you look for and, and there's just not enough of that because people are just thinking that short term and then uh Jim is going to help us with uh, motivation Monday, this Monday, but the one before he said about, for me, I remember from years ago, following the herd is a sure way to be mediocre. 
If yep. you're doing everything everybody else is doing, you are going to suck. Yeah. Whatever exactly. it is you're doing, you got to look things differently. So if you have exactly. a draft board and you're trying to figure out the numbers and you're trying to do everything the rest are going to do, you are going to suck. Yep. I mean, you know, Jim Andy, jokes Reed. About- Andy Reed, that's what he wants. Yeah. Jim jokes about it a lot. But he joked about it Thursday night when we first started this. Yeah. But yeah. I, I listen to him because he's he's right. He t- he tells you the why. Right. And he tells you, you know, he doesn't make the decision for you. He tells you the why. He backs it up with stats. And then he says, you need to ma- you have to make your own decisions. It's your team. It's your decision, whatever. But you have to make your own decision. And I agree with that. Why are you suggesting this player? Give me the give me the stuff to back it up as to why you're suggesting it. You know, I I might not agree at the beginning, but if I hear the why, it might change my mind and it might say, okay, I can go with him. Meanwhile, when you got you know 50 people saying one thing and you got Jim giving you as the why as to why you should go that way, the 50 people don't matter. It's right. the one right. thing when Jim gives it to you, he gives he put he gives you the why just like when i tweet him i tweet him about you know during the football season you know i'm thinking about going with gaskin over whoever or i'm thinking right. about going play a over player b and then he says i would go with player b and this is why and then more times than not jim's right because his stuff backs up what why you should go with player b and that's the way it is in everything don't make a decision out of desperation don't back yourself into a corner with anything always have the flexibility to to look at the why you're making the decision instead of the instead of the desperation because the desperation you're going to be wrong 90% of the time and we look at two desperate teams right doing what we're telling them not to do Houston which we know are going to suck pick a defensive lineman from Arizona Uh, 6'2", 318 pounds maybe a, a block stopper maybe trying to get those Arizona alumni to go to those Houston games in that area. But, man, Arizona had a horrible defense. They got ran over by everybody. It, you know, it, Kevin Summon, their coach, was fired. Uh, right. The whole team right. wanted that, to quit. Go ahead. And that's the thing that Jim said, is they should tank the year and, and go after a high draft pick and build their team back up. Houston's not going to look at it like that. No NFL team will look at it like that. Right. Hey, we're not going to tank again this year. We're going to try to win every game. And if they win two out of their first three, they're going to think, oh, we're better than people thought. But then they could lose eight in a row, and then all of a sudden they're two and ten, and it's over. So. And you make more money in gotta- sports betting, betting against teams than betting for teams. And this is a, some insight, too, about a team like Houston that you know for sports betting they're going to suck, right? They're not only going to be a bad team. Remember that – this is what Dennis Green, God bless his soul, he died, told me once on a boat ride to Honeymoon Island in Florida. And I never talk to celebrities or whoever when I sit down to them, right? Because they, they want to do their thing. But he approached me and started talking to me. And I just asked him, you know, some questions. He, the answer he gave me was, to answer your question, you never killed a goose that lays golden eggs. Right. He's like, what does it have to be do with a team that seriously sucks in sports betting? Is that the NFL built in four wins for each team? Mm-hmm. Built in wins. Perfect example to show is when on a Thursday night, 
Tampa Bay played three games in 10 nights. And on a Thursday night, Tom Brady went to play uh, Mitch Travinsky in Chicago. Chicago, right. And Chicago had a bye the week before. So Tampa Bay yep. played three games in 10 days. This is football. We're hard to recover. Yep. And they're going to Chicago on a Thursday night to play Miss Travinsky, right? What does yep. the normal better do? Oh, I'm betting Tom Brady. No, 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 no. This is a built-in win for Chicago. Yep. And it doesn't matter because remember for us, we don't care who wins the game. We care who covers the spread. Covers the spread. So it was, Houston. It was a one-point one game, I think. Right. So Houston might go 0 and 16, but they'll cover those those four built-in wins, right? Right. Right. And you just gotta find out what you gotta find which four they'll cover. That's the exactly. thing. And for people That's who are beginning sports betting, look at the travel. Because yeah. it's all things being equal, right? You throw in travel. I don't care if it's a charter flight. You got a guy like JPP 68, chiseled muscle guy. He's sitting somewhere for three hours to unwind his muscles. This is a pro athlete, man. To unwind his muscles or whatever, the guy who's slept at his house has a built-in edge. Right? And, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. You have to be smart when you're better. You have to look. Like I said, you got to study all the things. Like if Always do your research. If the team is coming off a bye and they're playing a team that's on their third straight road game, which happens sometimes. <laughs> Who are you going to bet? The team playing the third straight road game? Come on, really? Of course yeah. you're not going to bet them. You're going to bet the, the team off the bye. And right. they're at home, too. And that's the other thing. And it's the thing, too, right, that uh, we're kind of decided that sports betting isn't going to be regulated. So mm-hmm. on CNBC, after the decent people, at 12, they have a lunch show. And they're all technical analysis guys. Yep. And no one's ever gotten rich off technical analysis. But people have gotten rich selling technical analysis. Yep. And one of the fundamental issues, and I go fundamental analysis because people have gotten rich with fundamental analysis. One of the problems with technical analysis is it says that the market is rational, right? And that yep. uh, the numbers move in a logical progression, which is not true. It, the market's inefficient and it's irrational, right? From your state of Massachusetts, irrational exuberance. Schiller wrote that book. And it's true, right? It's not rational. So people would say, well, that team has played uh, three road games and you're going home against a home team off a of bye. Vegas has adjusted the number for that. Nope. That's the biggest lie. ESPN will tell you that lie. All these sports guys will tell you the lie. They'll say, oh, yep. Vegas knows something da, 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 that. No, they don't know anything. The, the line is just a marker. I told you yesterday, that's the worst phrase I hear on the radio. <laughs> Vegas, must know, Vegas must know something. The, the spreading three, it should, be, it should be seven. They don't know anything. They're, just, they're, just my, they're putting the spread where they think it's going to be. It's up to the better to determine if the spread goes up, down, stays the same, whatever. And it's, not ra- it's irrational. It's like that exactly. crazy girl you dated in high school who was nuts. You didn't know whether she was going to show up or not. You have to have you used to have to have girl B, right? She was exciting. Yep. <laughs> when she was around, it was yep. a lot of fun, but you had no right. idea whether she was going to show up or not. Hundred exactly. percent irrational. All right. Exactly. So again, uh, Bill Belichick, great pick, offensive line in Colorado, six foot four, three hundred and ten pounds. Um, he surprised me, but he did a good job. 
not doing any coaching. He just didn't manage me. Uh, the head coach at Colorado, Carl Durrell, was a disaster at UCLA. And then he's a disaster at UCLA. Gets blown out. He gets fired from every wide receiver job he ever gets in the NFL. Next thing you know, he's getting a $10 million bonus in a five-year, uh, $5 million a year contract at the University of Colorado. I'm like, how does this happen? But he hires a great offensive coordinator, hires a great defensive coordinator, great recruiting guy. He says, I'm not going to do any recruiting. I'm not going to do any coaching. He knows his limitations. He hired the good people around him. And Colorado did really well. And this guy was actually recruited by Mike Entire. And Mike Entire is a guy from the South that believes in the running game. He recruited, he trained this guy. I'm talking about William Sherman, offensive line, six foot four, 300 pounds. And I like New England, man. I like New England is a good Super Bowl bet to make it to the Super Bowl this year. New England Patriots, offensive line, man. And the thing about Belichick that I was reading today in the, in the Boston Globe is that I remember the back and forth with Tomlin where Tomlin wins on a Sunday night and the Patriots had won on a Saturday and Tomlin was complaining about uh, the time, right? That the Patriots had an extra day to prepare for the playoff game and how unfair it was, right? Yeah. Right. And Uh Belichick, when he wins the Super Bowl, they're like, Bill, what are you thinking? And he was like, to your point yesterday as well, Bill, uh, Bill and she would say, well, we got to catch up for Pittsburgh because they had all this extra time on us on the offseason. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He says it every week, every week. Oh, they're a good team. Cincinnati, they're a good team. We're going to have to play our best. And yeah, they're 05. Come on, Bill. really? This offseason, he didn't make the playoffs. He had all this time. COVID, he couldn't even go anywhere. With his offseason right. girlfriend. And man, he did a great job picking players because it's him. Right? He's the whole scout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the scout yeah, just goes out there to confirm what he saw in film. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just because he makes those deep runs in the playoffs. He doesn't have enough time to scout players. This year he he had enough time, like you said. He didn't he did a nice job with his draft, which is great. So. And I've seen him scout players. We had that story where he was wearing a hoodie in 90-degree heat and humidity. Nate yep. Allen. Yeah, almost my favorite because he was such a great athlete, such a great, nice man up until this day. Uh, a guy that I'll see in Costa Mesa, California, Larry Roundtree III, Missouri, 5'10", 210 pounds, going to your L.A. Chargers. Great player, fast speed. I'll catch up and let me know what you think. Uh, Jalen. <laughs> Uh, Twyman, defensive lineman, Pittsburgh, Pat Narducey, right, who uh, was begot by D'Antonio, who's be- begot, like the numbers in the Bible, by our good friend Nick Satan in Michigan State. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this guy was trained well. Uh, Brandon Eccles, cornerback, Kentucky from the Stoops family. Uh, he can play defense. All these guys are well-trained in defense. A guy who's not well trained in defense <laughs> goes through those teams. You see the pattern, man. Losers lose, right? There's a reason why losing teams are losing teams. And then you go Rondell Williams, cornerback, Oklahoma State, six foot four, 195 pounds, who can't tackle anybody. Uh, Oklahoma State had one of the perennially has one of the worst defenses in college football. He goes to your New York Giants. Clark Judge, though, in our six degrees. Of Bill Belichick, Belichick. Satan. 
hey, you can't get away from them, right? Every time I leave, they get pulled back in. They got Father 2. Yep. The Harbaugh fan. <laughs> Definitely have it in There's your one. notes. Uh, who is it in the Urban Meyer Harbaugh brothers Bill Belichick, Nick Satan, Satan here. combination? Yeah, Chris Evans, running back, University of Michigan, 5'11, 260 pounds. What do you think, Scott? All big, all big schools. I mean, this is this is right. the fallback for these coaches, is they go into the big school range, right? Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, ten pick, nine picks before that was the last small school. So, yeah, I think the COVID era, you know, made these coaches seem to think to late in the draft go bigger schools, bigger schools, defense, cornerback. Because you notice, other than uh, the last two picks, which a wide receiver just went for for Buffalo. Okay, is you got a cornerback, cornerback, defensive tackle. Uh, you got a guy in the line, you got a defensive tackle. So a lot of teams are just going defense to, to, to kind of see if it can stick. So, No, 100% agree. And you said Lafayette was a little school, but the thing about Lafayette is they get, because the SEC cheats a lot. And the guy we had on the horse racing program said, oh, horse racing is like the SEC. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. So they get guys who the last two years of high school, they were in jail because they stabbed someone or guys with a 0.5 GPA and they get them with the tutors. And when they don't work out, they go to Louisiana. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. In Louisiana, Lafayette, it's amazing. They like, these guys did a great job recruiting and training these guys, but the physical specimens on the Louisiana Lafayette offensive line, was completely off the charts. They had two guys drafted and made one made the Dallas Cowboys. They had two guys drafted, and then their coach is Napier. Napier coach for our friend Nick Satan Alabama. <laughs> so he knows where to pick guys. He knows how to train them. Yep. And these guys can play. Kid you not. Uh, so they take Mark. Uh, we'll go. We'll catch up, and I'll know. You, let me know your thoughts. We go Marquez Stevenson, wide receiver, Houston, uh, Mac Brown guy, because the guy who recruited him, Apple, uh, <laughs> can't get away from the next and three. Uh, Apple, I forgot his like, Apple bomb or whatever. He was the head coach of Houston, recruited this guy, and now he's an offensive assistant for Nick Satan. Then you have Shai Smith. Shai Smith, 5'10", 195 pounds was recruited by our friend, Will Muschamp, who coached for Nick Satan. <laughs> so we'll have a list of who not is in this business football web It's going to be very small, let me tell you. <laughs> and now we go to the Tennessee Titans. It's not going to happen this pick because we're going to go to Brable, won three Super Bowls yeah. with Bill Belichick. We're going to have that guy. We're going to look him up, right? It's going to be a guy who won two national championships when he played at Alabama. Then he got drafted by Bill Belichick and went to two Super Bowls there, you know? Yeah, now I think you're basically looking at, at these guys drafted, a practice squad guys, special teams right. guys. That, that's basically what you're looking at right now. 
And now you know, looking I at agents calling Houston and say, hey, if you draft our guy, he's not showing up. <laughs> <laughs> right. I already got a free right. agent, undrafted free agent deal with Bella Cheat in New England. That's where he's gone. Houston Special doesn't really pick this round. Yeah. No. So, I mean, that's that's basically what you're looking at these drafts, and they come in as special teamers and and practice squad and. Yeah, the the seventh yeah. round should go fast. I would assume that's going to go lightning quick. Yeah. Because they're not going to, you know. Yeah. I would I would think maybe not. Never know. I mean. And, then, and that's and that's when you look at. I made a lot of money doing this too. Uh, you look at dysfunction. You'll see Belichick already has his pick in. You see Houston confused, not knowing what to do. Uh, you see them on the phone with Goodell, and Goodell's telling them, "Hey, you guys passed the five minutes. You guys are gonna have to forfeit the pick. You know, yep. stuff like that, right?" And then they go to Tennessee, and Tennessee, boom, bam, done. You know, they already have the pick. Yeah, they already picked They picked a wide receiver from LSU just now, Tennessee, so. Makes sense, man. That's a program. Yeah, another big school, LSU. So, I mean, right. that's, that's basically where they're going with this. I mean, you might find a guy that gets drafted that might be a punter kick returner. It might impact games that way, but I don't think you're going to find much in, the, in that way, so. You know, and I would love to run a team with you and Jim, Chad. We run a team. We wouldn't overtake the draft, right? Let me know what you think, right? Let's say we're XYZ team. And we say, hey, that whole Ohio State offensive line is great. So first line, we picked the Ohio State offensive line. The first three rounds, we picked three Ohio State offensive line. They have report. They know how to work with each other. Have the list of Bella, Bella Cheat Satan and the highball guys all, all on one side. Right. And then we and the then non- all we're grading is the guys that are outside that you who are the best guys. Yep. Yeah. We're gonna get value there because everybody's going over here, right? It's, it's what uh, contrarian yeah. thinking. That's what Jim was saying on the motivation. Yeah. Let's pick the yeah. best of these guys who are being neglected over here. Yeah, it's just it's just like when everybody says one thing. My my saying used to be everybody says one way, you go the other way, because everybody can't be right. Right. And it, it, you know everybody's saying this, but they don't give reasons as to why they're saying it. They're just saying, oh, we like this guy because of, you know, he's a rising star. He's this that yeah. But they don't give, they don't back it up with stats. They don't back it up with anything. They just say that's the reason why he's a rising star. He comes from a big school. We like him. But this guy here, he back up with stats. So, I mean, it's just like betting. Everybody bets one way, go the other way. Go the other way. And go the other way. Same thing with picking stocks, right? Sunderman, uh, you know, capital management, Ned Sunderman, when <clears throat> gave to his daughter who's teaching me value, investing, and fundamental analysis. You look at stocks who have tanked, not stocks that are going up. Everybody wants to get the high rising start. Uh, Wall Street bets, right? They took advantage of that. Yep. GameStop. 
Courtnoy took advantage of that because it still hasn't changed. And he was telling me this 30 years ago. You pick the stocks that are tanked, that have gone down. Uh, pandemic hits, Carnival Cruise Line goes as low as it can go, boom. Illegal for me to give stock picks, but what you do is you take Carnival Cruise Line at its lowest point, and bam, you're doing really well right now. Well, like there was a guy at where I work, you know, he's he's big in the stock market. He said, oh, I just I just bought some Verizon. Why'd you buy Verizon? Well, it's Verizon. Of course it's going to go up. No reason why he bought it. He got it. It's just well, it's Verizon that's going to go up. You have no reason why you bought it. You have no, I said, you can't just say it's Verizon. It's going to, it's going to go through the roof. Everybody uses Verizon. No, there's going to be a reason why you bought the Verizon. You took the Verizon stock. Right. So, and I worked I for Verizon. I was in the management in, in Verizon. And the problem with Verizon is that 40% of it is owned by uh, Vodafone which is basically owned by the French government. So they squeeze the money out for the people. Yep. It's almost like a communist country. They squeeze the money out. And that's why Verizon doesn't have the growth you would prefer. Right. And the only reason you would buy, I'm, I'm giving you the reason, the only reason you would buy Verizon is when it's at its lowest point to make the dividend. But you need right. to invest a million dollars or whatever for that dividend to be significant. So yeah, no, you got in, in we before the NCAA tournament, at the start of the football season, I said now it's on the website, the top 10 rules of betting. Number one is never bet your own team or any team you have any emotional attachment, never bet. Right. right. Even if you think you can do it rationally and people do it anyways, you just don't. I do not bet the University of South Florida Bulls. That I donate money to the school, I graduate. I can't because I'm like, yeah. oh, they can't lose six in a row. <laughs> yeah, I stay away from. I stay away from the Patriots too. There's yeah, no, I don't trust them ever. Yeah. Uh, New Orleans, they know what they're doing. Sean Payton, offensive lineman from Kentucky, six foot seven, three hundred and twenty pound monster. And again, for fantasy, right? For betting on games. If you're near an NFL training camp, go. See how big these guys are. Yep. And if they're practicing another team, doubly go. Because it helps with the number two rule of betting. Always do your research. Like Scott's telling you, figure out the whys. The whys drive the what. Yep. The The whys drive the what. And when they're scrimmaging against another, you know who's there? Another football nutcase like you. Ask them about their team. Yeah. They will tell you every single thing there is to know about the other team. Right. And you'll get a great education. Or if you're like me, right, who doesn't have uh, a dog in the fight, right, I'm going to the Chargers training camp, and they're scrimmaging against the New Orleans Saints, because Anthony Lynn and Sean Payne are, are really close friends. Yep. Charger fans are telling me every single thing there is to know about. And they see you with a notebook, notepad. They think you're a reporter or something. They're talking to you. They're telling you everything you need to know. Then you know the New Orleans Saints fans are telling you everything you need to know either. And boom, you're set for the season with, this, with these teams. And man, yep. believe me, those fans, they shouldn't bet on their team, but they know so much about their team. 
It's ridiculous. They they don't know what they're doing, but they give me giving me free money. Free money because that's why this one don't cost eight hundred dollars and that cost two hundred. And I don't know what that cost. I'm just shitting the work. That's why I work.